Hello, this is Alexander Siddig, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod, and don't tune out. Neil Before Blog presents... Neil Before Pod. Internet. The current frontier. These are the voyages of the website Neil Before Blog. Its continuing mission to explore strange new shows, to seek out conversations about nerdy obsessions, to have discussions that many have had before. Welcome to another trek-tastic edition of Neil Before Pod. I'm your host Craig McKenzie and I'm here to celebrate the biggest day in the Star Trek calendar. For those not in the know, that's First Contact Day. On April the 5th, 2063, the fictional Zephram Cochrane takes humanity into a new age when his ship, the Phoenix, travels faster than light. This is our celebration of that joyous future date. Here celebrating the most glorious of Star Trek holidays, where no one's actually on holiday, is Sandy. Hello! Long time no appearance on podcast. Indeed, my ship got caught in uh, Tycan's Rift. It was terrible. Uh, Blowing and up the transport is not working, so we had to shuttle you in today. Yes, I've got all my clothes on this time, thank you. Yeah, which is which is good for everybody, I think. Yes. No one <laughs> wants to see that. Yeah. So, biggest day in the Star Trek calendar, other than 17th of January, which nobody celebrates. <laughs> no, because the Americans uh, would would write it all one seventeen. Yeah, so sucks that to be work. them. Yeah, at least this is one we can all agree. April fifth. Yes. You know what? What would this year be the negative anniversary? You know, it's uh, twenty sixty three minus twenty. <laughs> yeah, hang on a second. Let me let me let me just check. Do the the math on that. Yeah. Uh, uh, minus forty six. Yes. So. Yep. The minus forty six anniversary. Not exactly a landmark year. Minus no. forty. That'll be the big year. But hey, it look. It's still within our life potential lifetime. Yes, it is. So you never know. Yeah. You have forty six years, scientists. Yes. Some guy called Zephram Cochran better get his act together. He'd be hey. born now, wouldn't he? Yeah, he should be born yeah. roughly about this time. And uh, he looked like he was in his forties, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe early fifties. Yeah. It's not discussed exactly how old he is when he um, does first contact, but no. Woof. Yes. So, start with um, this is kind of obviously Star Trek films mean different things to different people. So. Uh, we talked about it briefly on the old 50th anniversary one, but what's your kind of history with this film and your thoughts on its quality? I went to see it on its opening weekend. Uh, well, within a couple of days of its opening weekend, sorry. Um, I was 16 at the time, so a young un, And <laughs> yeah, it had a big impact on me. I just. There was nothing about it I didn't like. And there's still. It's still the same way. It's uh, I I love the uniforms in it. 
I mean, up until that point, the, the next generation uh, Mandarin collar, basically season three onwards uniforms, have been were my favourite. Um, Star, Star Trek uniform costume of all time. Then mm-hmm. First Contact came out, and you had these, you had these grey, business-like, almost more militaristic, but not quite um, looking uniforms, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> and, I, and I wanted one, and I so badly. And with, about four years ago, I finally managed to get one. Yay! Uh, I, had it, I had it made for me, to made it mm-hmm. to make sure it fitted properly. And I love wearing it whenever I get whenever I go to a convention. I just put the qualifier out. I don't sit here and wear it, wear it when I'm on my lonesome. Don't lie. Don't lie. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Uh-huh. People accuse me of that all the time. <laughs> I don't know why. Eh, there's, no, there's no problem with it. I imagine it's quite warm if it's made of wool. <sighs> yes. Um, I, I've i worn it in, in Atlanta a few times now. Um, mm. My word, it's warm over there. And with um, the with the wool, and it's got, it's got a, a, a nice thick layer of wool uh, for the finisher uh, layer or the, the, the layer that you see but underneath you've got several layers of fleece and wadding <laughs> so all in all you're talking about half an inch to one and a half centimetres for the metric hmm. uh, of, um, of, of, of stuff on the shoulders and then I've, I had it lined as well because I'm an idiot <laughs> Uh, and it's because uh, that's why they've got the the waistcoat and all that stuff, you know. Indeed, <laughs> and and it's screen accurate. I can zip it, to unzip it, and walk around like that. Hmm. That, well, that, that annoys the stormtroopers. Well, Star Trek uniforms don't have uh, don't have zips, of course. Well, no, it's a zipless future. In 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 the future, they use some sort of nano something or another. But uh, yeah, in our, I've had to re- retro. F- um, what do you call it? Um, retrofit. Ret- ret- retro engineer. Yeah. Reverse, reverse engineer. Reverse engineer it, and uh, the nearest equivalent technology I could find is the humble zip. Hmm. Or possibly Velcro. That could work. Velcro could possibly work. Yes. I, I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm going to get someone to make me um, TNG uh, dungarees. What, what you don't. <laughs> Seriously, uh, what they had underneath there uh, from season three onwards, you know how you had the Picard manoeuvre? Yes. Because the, uh, the, the, the top was, was separate. Mm-hmm. Um, underneath that, they're wearing basically dungarees. The, mm. the, 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 um, the, the pants, as they call them, come up to just over their belly button, and then they've got straps that go over the, their shoulders. So that, no matter, so that no matter what position they're holding their arms at and stuff like that, if the, if the top did ride up, you weren't seeing undershirt hmm. or, or bare skin. Yeah, so because why would anybody want to be comfortable on a starship? Absolutely. <laughs> Every actor I've spoken to, they, the, the, especially especially the, the first contact onwards costumes, bring us yeah. right, back, right, right back onto subject, they called them Garbadine Hell. <laughs> I was talking to Alexander Siddig last year um, at uh, DragonCon, uh-huh. And uh, he complimented me for for being able to stand the heat in my garbadine hell, as he called it. And I went, <laughs> uh, and um, I went, yes, it's, it is a bit on the warm side, even with the zip open. Yeah, and you know, under studio lights and things. 
yes. It's not going to be the most comfortable. He he did he did say it was roughly uh, the the temperature in that room, and it was quite warm. Was roughly about the same as it would be on stage. Hmm. Uh, so, and he says I'm sw- and he said I'm sweating and I'm sitting here in a, a, a pair of cargo pants and a, a loose fitting t-shirt. You must be dying in that um, garbage in hell. <laughs> hmm. And of course, Alexander Siddig does the introduction, the celebrity endorsement introduction on this very podcast. He's a nice guy. Yeah, I, I went nice back guy. in time, and I, I went back in time, and uh, and made that happen. Superb. <laughs> yeah, my thoughts on First Contact uh, when it came out in the cinema. I never got the opportunity to see it at the cinema. I really wanted to, but no one oh, ever took me for some reason. Yeah, that, I still haven't shame. seen it at the cinema. Yeah, <gasps> which is. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty annoying. But I remember I got it rented for me for a birthday uh, on VHS. Wow. And I, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And it's kind of a film that's grown on me as years go on. I think at one point, you know, it gets kind of universal acclaim as being one of the better ones. And mm. sometimes when you have a bit of distance from a film, even if you like it, you get a bit hostile towards it if people are just complimenting it left and right. Mm. And there was a time where I was a bit like, well, First Contact's not the greatest, you know, and whatever else. But... And, I still think it's maybe not the greatest Star Trek film, but it's definitely the best Next Generation film. It's, you know, a, it's, not, yeah. it's not high bar to clear, but <laughs> it's the best I, of them. <laughs> I would put it at number two after um, The Wrath of Khan, personally. Um, I've never really done a ranking of all Star Trek films. It's something for me to do later. Um, that, not, that, not later on. That's, year, the but rank, later. That's, that's the only ranking I've done, really. I mean... Yeah. Uh, I've only ranked, yeah, I've, ra- I've ranked the three films. Um, first mm. position, you've got Wrath of Khan. Uh, I don't think there really can be any other first position there. See, uh, I would put Undiscovered Country, personally. My uh, see, number, my Undiscovered Country is number three. Hmm. Uh, because Undiscovered Country is number three for me, because I, for, I, that was my favourite for a long, long time, until Fast Contact came around. Yeah, this might be fourth under Voyage Home. Maybe, but I don't know. I need to do the list. Oh, I'd thought, forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, Star Trek Four, the, the one with the whales. Yeah, the one with the whales. I think that st- <laughs> that stands as its own uh, in terms of because it's it's the only one that's real. It's it's not a comedy. It's serious, but it's also funny. It's yeah. It's slightly off from all the other films, which are very. They're actually quite serious. Uh, whereas number four is a jolly little jaunt. Yes, um, it is, yeah. and it just stands on its own. I don't think you can rank it really. It's just, mm. it's, it, it was a masterpiece of, uh, for Leonard Nimoy. God rest yeah. his soul. One, one day I, will, one day I will do the the top ten. I will just do the original pre reboot films because I can't be bothered figuring out where the, these three can, fit can in. You, but can you imagine <laughs> the arguments? You need to do a podcast on that. Can manage the argumentation that's going to go on. Yeah. That, that well, be... if it's just me making a list, then I'm only arguing with myself, so it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, uh, which you know would be quite a significant argument. It does happen. <laughs> yeah. I, but first contact, I, good film, good film. Yep. Not without its flaws, I don't think. But what film isn't? Um, and I'm, I do think we'll get on to the flaws as we proceed through. Um, there are things about it that I think don't quite add up things about it I don't like but on the whole I think it's really good Jonathan Frakes has proven himself to be a very capable director with just this film mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, a sh- it's a shame that Thunderbirds killed his career. What, what, was it? Was it from this film? He got two takes freaks. Yes, yes, because he was quite efficient with his directing style. I think the film came under budget as well. Although I might be making that up. No, I think I remember reading in the Star Trek magazine back 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 when that was a thing. Uh, <laughs> That uh, it was under budget. Yeah, and then long, insurrection long was ago. insurrection. There was probably nothing wrong with the direction, but it's just kind of dull. Um, My goodness, I've just realised that's twenty-one years ago. Ugh. <laughs> um, that's horrible that I can say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving on swiftly. Moving on. Well, I recently realised that Buffy is twenty years old, which I'm like, oh yeah. man. <laughs> Love that show. Still do, but yeah. And uh, we're back. <laughs> and we're back, yes. So, I guess we've got our initial thoughts down on paper, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, we should just go into the spoiler section, even though it's a 21-year-old film. Hey, don't don't <laughs> kid yourself. I spoiled, what was it? Serenity. Hmm. To, to, uh, to someone who is a bona fide uh, fan of anything of Joss Whedon... Um, uh, and um, loves Firefly she hadn't seen for some reason she had not seen Serenity it, wow it's, it's been out for what 10 years now it's longer than that yeah, yeah. 2005 that, I'm sure it came out in, in my opinion at that point mm. after 5 years it's your fault if someone spoils it <laughs> if it's yeah. a, if, especially if it's of a genre that you are a diehard fan of you should have seen it by now I would say so but just to but, be safe just so there's absolutely no doubt, we'll, you know, set it to spoiler alert. We're free to talk now. You really need to turn the decibels down on that klaxon. <laughs> well, everyone needs to be awake and make sure they're at spoiler stations. Yeah, we'd probably put them to sleep in them with that chat beforehand. <laughs> yeah, that's it. 15 minutes of that, so we need to wake everybody up. So just, you know... Ring a foghorn every 20 minutes or so just to make sure everyone's still awake. <laughs> yeah, so the the obvious place to start is the story because it has one. Um, the Borg were a kind of fan favourite villain throughout TNG mm-hmm. because they were, you know, they were badass, they were threatening, they were undefeatable or almost undefeatable and they were and obviously they, they did something significant to Picard. Yes. So they were tailor-made for a high-budget film treatment because, of course, you know, why wouldn't you bring back these amazing techno- technologically advanced villains as something that, you know, you can spend a lot of money on and make look amazing? Made perfect sense to me. Yes. So I would say they were um, a very significant villain, and it's good that you didn't see them often at that time. Mm-hmm. To, to say nothing of later mm-hmm. um, so using them in the story was good um, I still to this day do not think that time travel is maybe the best use of a cinematic Borg story why? because I would still like to see that high budget Borg uh, experience on the big screen where everyone's kind of in their own time and the stakes are, are as high as they can be, etc. Kind of like the Destiny film, the book trilogy, if you've read that. Nope. It's worth reading. Uh, it would be amazing if it was filmed, but I don't think it... Well, obviously it never will be at this point. Well, to me, the time travel aspect made perfect sense because it's one thing 
they hadn't done yet with the Borg. Um, we had the incursion um, mm-hmm. in Federation space um, in the middle or middle of the run of TNG, and they had popped up every so often, and one with um, uh, lore as well. Um, so having them just coming straight back into Federation space and then just a straight out Dukem. It would have just been a repeat of um, the name just complete, the name of the episode just completely has gone out of my head. Best of both worlds? Best of both worlds, yeah, exactly. It would just be a repeat uh, of... You, you have to hand in your stripes. <sighs> yes, uh, that's, I've lost my geek card right there. <clears throat> Seriously, it just, it just left my brain. Um... If they had just done a, a straight shoot them out again, it would just have been people would have been saying, "Ah, it's just, it's just a repeat of that. It's there's there's no, it's not what not worth it." However, with them going back in time and going to and messing up first contact day, yes, kind of made, kind of made sense to me. It's well, something the, that they, we hadn't seen yet. Yeah, the the thing that's um, weird about it is it's obviously not the Borg's first initial plan. Because no. um, you know they kind of fire out the sphere at the last minute, and uh, when they're about to be blown up, um, and then almost come up with this in the fly. Otherwise, they could have just travelled back in time, light years away, and then flown in unnoticed, and no one would have been able to do anything about it. Then you'd have had no film, of course. Absolutely. At the end of the day, you've got plot. You, you have to have plot points. You have to have um, plot devices. Yeah, um, and y- yeah, I think a, a, a proper enemy would hit you where you least expect it to. Yeah, I always never understood why they never sent more than one ship. You know, the the single ship incursion didn't work before, so let's try that, two this time. That, if you ask me, was part of the Queen's arrogance. She yeah. thought she was better. She thought she could make it work. Yeah, we'll get onto the Queen. <laughs> that's that's another issue I've got with the film, but we'll get there. Um, so yeah, they're, they're certainly significant, and I, I like the way that this film makes it a proper sequel to Best of Both Worlds, which I have no idea how accessible that would be to a Star Trek fan, a non-Star Trek fan. Um, I suppose as long as you're willing to accept that, you know, he, this, the Borg did something to Picard in the past, mm. and he's still reeling from it in some way. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't go too far into explaining it. I mean, you see that dream sequence at the beginning. Yeah. Which is a slight hint as to what was going on, but to be honest, I think at that point, um, <clears throat> at that time anyway, they weren't des- they had they weren't designing the films for new entry people to come in and um, just um, understand everything straight away. They, it was it was for the standing fan base. Yeah, although this film did have a wide appeal, um, it was. It was weird. It was just one of those. The marketing budget was in the right place, and it made money. And you know, there was people that didn't necessarily like Star Trek who were going to see it. But of course, it came out at a time where Star Trek was in its golden age. Mm-hmm. You know, you had what two TV shows on the air at the time, um, successful films under their belt. You know, there was there was a bit of buzz about it. People were people I think were was, on board. I think it was also marketed properly. Yes, I mean, I remember seeing post, posters everywhere. This this was this was a time when. For most people, the internet was still in its infancy. Yeah, you you didn't have the social media that you have today. Uh, YouTube wasn't invented yet, um, mm. so you didn't have 
that, all you had was people on forums, and they would have seen posters, and they would have told people about it. And and I, I do remember people actually going to um, people saying that they'd gone to see films just so that they can see a trailer for this. Yeah. Uh, and it's certainly not the first film where people have done that. And no, it's well, Force Awakens, for instance. <laughs> Exactly, and certainly not the last either. Yeah. Exactly, as you say, Force Awakens and also Rogue One. Yes. Um, and so I just think it was marketed very well, and th- that's probably one of the reasons why. And I think also because it was such a good film in all in most respects, um, I think people went to see it again and again and again. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was definitely marketed properly and there was a bit of buzz about it. I mean, I seem to remember it being featured on Saturday night British BBC television, you know, which is... which feels like a, an absolute hallmark but a bygone age, but... Mm-hmm. But, you know, it did happen. Yeah, BBC... On the B- National Lottery or something like that, you know. Yeah, wasn't was there not also someone who covered uh, some news reporter who went to one of the premieres in was it in London, and you had all these people in Star Trek garb. Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah, I mean you get that now anyway with everything. Oh Everything's yeah. a fandom now. Absolutely. That, <laughs> uh, that back then, back then it wasn't at, it wasn't so often that you yeah. heard that. That you saw that, but these days it's every film. There's yeah. there are people that camp out outside the cinema for two, three days <laughs> just yeah, to be I, the first in. I don't see why. I just book my ticket online and go and sit in the best seat. <laughs> exactly, but yeah. some. It's, I think for some people it's all about the experience. Yeah, sleeping on a street. Great. <laughs> yeah, sounds like just like all those people that sleep in the street to get be the first to have an iPhone. Yes. Um. Uh, which looks looks identical to the one from last year. <laughs> it's madness. Of course, not judging anyone on their life choices. Nope, not judging at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The time travel story is what it is. I think, and it's. I think it is used well here. You know, it's, it doesn't feel. It's not very mired in the t- rules of time travel. You know, there's none of this. Oh crap! We're, we might be changing the future here. And uh, in, you know, in indeed. fact, they just tell everyone. You know, everybody gets told what the future is. <laughs> they, yeah, they just get on with it, don't they? They, they just <laughs> say, "Right, we're here. This is how it is. Let's get on with it." Yeah. Because, especially because he's, they have to tell him something because he, he's, he's just, he's drunk. Well, he's at that point when they, when they get him, he's hung over. Um, yeah. They've been attacked. The control center for the um, Phoenix is in. In, it's in it's in tatters. All his co- all his control crew are dead. He sees no no. That's it. Game mm. over. So they have to tell him. No, you have to do this. And we'll yeah. we're we're here to tell. We're here to help you. So of course he's going to have. There'd be probably there would have been some sort of off script off screen discussion uh, in real life where he would have said, "What makes you think you can help me?" Yeah, although they could have been a bit more selective with the information. I think saying, yeah. here's our ship, it's called the Enterprise. Um, oh yeah, there's going to be a statue of you over there. Uh, they, these aliens are going to appear, they're See, going to land over there. Uh, you said this. Indeed. Um, <laughs> yeah, you make good You get, make good arguments, but we all get starstruck Yeah. at some point. We all just 
go turn to goo and say silly things and say things we really shouldn't when in front of someone who we really admire. Yeah, although Riker was, you know, he was quite calm and collected, but he was still like, yeah, I'm just going to mm. tell you everything. You know, it's uh, it's just it's a bit weird, but it is um, a bit weird. I mean, especially in the, in other uh, episodes of Star Trek and everything, they've always been guarded and um, trying not to pollute the timeline and 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 this, that, and the other. But do you I think like... temporal investigations turned up when they got back to the 24th century? So, you know, what did you oh. tell Cochrane? Oh, yeah, only what he needed to know. It's fine. <laughs> Who, what were those two guys called? Uh, Dolmer and Luxley. That's it. Something Dolmer like and that. Luxley. Obviously, yeah. obviously anagrams of Scold, Mulder and Scully. Yeah. Um, uh, no, they probably turned up. Uh, this is, this is the, again, we see the Enterprise. In, yeah. uh, Picard's like, I don't know, I was on the ship. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah I was on the ship uh, fighting the Borg. <laughs> Riker, what did you do? Well, uh, nothing. It's well, fine. see, it was like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was Thomas. It was all Thomas. Yeah, it was all I, Thomas. Yeah. I was on the ship as well. He did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, and I Kudos quite like to people they, who get what we mean by that. I know, yeah. I quite I wonder- like the... <laughs> it'll be in the show notes. I'll put Thomas Riker in the show no, notes. No! <laughs> no, you just spoiled it. Yeah, oh, I like show no, notes. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, so uh, Cochrane, uh, it's when, I mean, it's that kind of typical don't meet your heroes sort of uh, story, isn't it? You know, yeah. they're all expecting him to be this kind of profound, saintly figure that has opinions on everything, that always has a, a really inspirational thing to say, and he's just a bit of a screw up, you know? He's... Yep. Although I do think that sometimes they take it a bit far the other direction. As in, sometimes it's like, I don't quite believe that this guy's a scientist, because he doesn't really engage in any scientific discussion no I, I think I think that is explained perfectly by what he says to Riker when in the cockpit hmm. you know you think I'm doing it for the better of man and uh, and blah blah no money dollar signs yeah there could have been some kind of chat he has with Jordy about like um I don't know, just some techno babbly stuff, just to make it look like, okay, here's a guy that could invent warp drive. Fine, he knows what he's talking about. Mm. You, know, you don't really get that. You just well, get him kind no, of cut I, about. I think because what they were doing is they were using the already well known history of Cochrane. We all know yeah. who Zephyr Cochrane is. If you're a Star Trek fan, you know who Zephyr Cochrane is. Hell, he's got a unit of measurement named after him in the in the in the in the, in the universe. And you've seen that really bad episode of the original series. Uh, we won't go into that. <laughs> um, but we know who Zephram Cochran is. So we know he's a scientist. We know he's an engineer. We know yeah. he invented warp drive. We don't need to go into that kind of thing in the film. There he is, and he's completely opposite to what people think he is. Yeah. Which I, which I thought was quite good. It was a nice little switcheroo, but also it's something that has happened. In in many, I mean, I remember watching uh, um, watching Will Wheaton talk about William Shatner. Hmm. And um, what rating are we going for on this uh, podcast? By the way, uh, I will bleep out swearing with phaser sound or something. <laughs> it needs to be said because um, <laughs> he was he was on the set of the Next Generation as Crusher, mm-hmm. and he was in his um, spacesuit. Under which he had a sort of like a muscle suit to beef him up a little. <laughs> Seriously, so he had the spacesuit around his around his waist and the muscle stu- suit unzipped and then just hanging loose from that. <laughs> and uh, across the hallway, on the other stage, there he sees William Shatner. They're 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 filming. Um, I 
believe it was Star Trek Five. Mm-hmm. And there he is. He sees him, but he, he doesn't want to go over because it's it's his idol. He doesn't want to go over and say hello. So eventually, he, he, um, I can't remember who it was, but someone facilitates um, going to meet him. And William Shatner goes, "Oh, so you're the kid on the on the Enterprise of the new series." I would I would never let a kid on my bridge. <laughs> and then he walks off. At the, and at that point, and here comes the beeper. William Shatner became William F- Shatner. Ah, <laughs> uh, poor mm. guy, poor Will Wheaton. You shouldn't always meet people who you um, you look up to because yeah. they they can disappoint you. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think with Cochrane they could have done this. It it could have been quite funny to have this whole. I'd almost forgotten he, you know, I almost forgotten he came up with this stuff after they spent a few hours with him, you know, and he he just didn't exhibit any signs of brilliance. And then there could have been one scene where he just did, and then Jordy was like, "Oh yeah, there's the guy I was reading about." That yeah, okay, I agree with you with that. And a nice little, you know, a little problem, and he just and he says, "Well, why don't you do the do Hickamabob?" Yeah. And suddenly, oh yeah, there's the brilliance. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, it was just hidden under all the tequila. Yeah, okay, he did like his tequila. Yeah, but Cochrane's great. Uh, from Cochrane, yes, that's the character's name. Uh, James Cromwell, great actor. Fantastic. He, he Not his first really time in Star job. Trek either. No, he, what, what he was, um, last we saw of him, he was the director of that clone world, wasn't he? Or did we see? So. Or did we see him after that? Uh, he was in an episode of DS9 as well. I always remember him being a Gamma Quadrant species. Caramar. He was one That's of the, the Caramar. One. That's it. That, yep. Yeah. Indeed. That may have been just before or just... Uh, I can't remember. Or maybe around the same time. I cannot put... Yeah. I, Dep- I, depends what sure. year. Yeah. Season 5 of DS9, whatever year that is. It'll so be... No, it'll be after this because they're wearing grey uniforms. No. Are they wearing grey uniforms? I don't know. Mm. I doubt Maybe the red uniform. I need to go back and watch that now. Yeah, it's a good episode. Suffice to say... Brilliant actor, and yeah. not his first or indeed his last foray into Star Trek. No, um, not his last time playing this character as well. No, indeed, we see him briefly in Enterprise. One, one, two minute, not even two minute cameo in Enterprise. Yeah, indeed, and he, is, he appeared uh, he appeared to be a bit, a bit slightly more mature and um, compass mentis. Yes, um, Cochran- when he was giving that one speech. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, well, they just probably pumped him full of steroids and and, and stood, you know, yeah. just propped him up with a with a brush. So it's like, go talk. Well, I think um, I actually think Riker, through the course of the film, started to realise that him and Cochrane were kind of a bit alike in some ways. You know, it's that kind of knowing grin he gets when he hears what Cochrane's real plan was, and Riker yeah. was like, "Yeah, I get yeah, it. Fair <laughs> enough. You, you do. You get. You get it. I mean, it, it's a world that's still ruled by uh, money." Yeah. At the end of the day, money, money is power. Money is life, um, and he, yeah, he kind of gets it. Yeah, fair enough. If I've got this technology that I can invent and it's going to change the world and make me rich at the same time, you would. Yeah. Plus, um, plus Riker would probably have a lot of holiday programs that are essentially just an island filled with naked women, mm, minuets, <laughs> lots of minuets. Yeah, or anything really. Um, I don't think Riker discriminates. In fact, he definitely doesn't discriminate. No, he certainly doesn't. He's definitely Riker is definitely the Kirk of the next generation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Although I do like him. I've always liked Riker, and I think Jonathan Frakes is great in this. And um, yes, 
especially when he's behind the camera as well. I mean, I know that early versions of the script had Riker on the Enterprise and Picard on the surface, but mm-hmm. they they changed it because of the you know it's more personal of Picard fight the Borg rather than moralize with Cochrane. Indeed, and it takes uh, a big man to do to do that and not steal the limelight. Yeah, so having Riker down on the planet allowed him to kind of it probably you know it, most of his scenes are just lines. So he just has to learn lines, and, yeah. and uh, that's it. But um, so when it comes to direction, it's probably a little bit easier for him to just um, to do that rather than direct himself doing big action stuff. Indeed, and it's because of that that he's the one next generation star that I'd really like to work, to meet first. Yeah, I'd love to meet Freaks. Yeah, he seems like a good guy. I mean, from what I've heard, he's he's just the, an officer and a gentleman. Yeah. Yeah, but this um, the thing about this film for me that separates it from Generations, for example, mm. uh, is that it feels like a film, whereas Generations just doesn't. You know, Generations looks a bit embarrassing because they're using TV sets. Um, it's well, it's kind of lit like a TV show. It's you know, it's well, no, it's not lit like <clears throat> a TV show. I don't think so. Bits of it. The the the, the, the all the I mean. I pre- I just watched Generations and I've been watching uh, the Next Generation on Netflix. Uh, mm-hmm. High definition. Ho- ho- holy, holy, holy moly! I've got it on Blu-ray. Um, it's highly recommended. If you've not seen Next Generation in in high definition, stop what you're doing. In fact, no. Listen to the end of this first. Like us, then go and watch it. Seriously, <laughs> um, it's really, really, really good. It makes it look like they filmed it last week. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Get back to the subject. Um, I've been watching that, and then I watched the gen- generations the other day because I just fancied uh, to do so. And it is it is darker. It's lit darker. It's much more moody. The Enterprise bridge is also much darker. Um, it's also got those little add-on uh, stations on the wings, which I love. They should have had that all the way through the, uh, the 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 seasons, if you ask me. It's a bit awkward if you have to stand on the little arch thing though, <laughs> when, when working one of the consoles. Yeah, I suppose. But <laughs> the, the ultimately, that's why the Enterprise D had to had to be destroyed. Yeah. Because the it Enterprise wasn't fit for filming. Yeah. Exactly. The Enterprise D, with her squat nature, was designed for four by three um, fr- screens, yeah. not for sixteen by nine cinematic screens. Yeah. That's ultimately the reason why she di- she had to die mm-hmm. at the end of end of the. Day. Still don't under- like the punk ass way they made her go. Hmm. I mean, in any episode, they would have had the shields, the shield modulation rotated in nanoseconds. Data would have been sitting there going, "Ah, oh, they've matched our shield frequency." Tap 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 tap. Right, modulated. Cool. Yeah. And then one phaser blast, and that b- b- bird of prey would have been history. Yep. But plot device and all that, they had to destroy the Enterprise. Hmm. Yeah, it's no and idea. I, I had not seen anything about the film before I went to go and see it. Mm-hmm. So I was dumbstruck when I when the Enterprise went. I I was sat there, mouth agape. Hmm. And again, in, in first contact, I was sat there, mouth agape, through the entire film. Hmm. Especially the reveal of the Enterprise. <gasps> well, they, yeah, it's a very, oh. it's a very nice looking ship. It's very sleek. It's you know, it's um, one of Johnny's best. Yeah, it looks designs. more. It looks like more of a warship. Um. <laughs> yes and no. Yeah, it's got slightly darker colours and shading. It makes it look like it's be, it's slightly 
camouflaged in a way. It's also a bit nimble. It looks, you know, it's more nimble. She do- certainly looks sleeker and faster, definitely. Yeah. I w- she doesn't seem to, to possess the same prowess as the Galaxy class, in my opinion. Mm. You see a Galaxy class coming towards you, big, massive behemoth of a ship coming towards you. You're not going to mess with it, are you? No, no, I mean, of course they're, they're both powerful ships. But and the, the, the Enterprise just has a more squatter, leaner look. The mm. Enterprise E, sorry, has a squatter, leaner look to her. Uh, yeah. And she's a better ship in all, in all ways. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. In, in every measurable sense, as Picard would say. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, it's quite an interesting thing, actually. I mean, what you've got is Wolf 359 in the Star Trek universe is basically 9-11 before 9-11 could, you know, before you could mm. reference 9-11, it was 9-11. Yes. So, like, um, so what you've got is you've got this, you, you've got this pretty sweet ride for Starfleet officers before, you know, they could just be geologists or botanists or whatever they wanted, you know, it was great. The the, the Romulans were in hiding, there wasn't really any enemies encroaching on the wings and, and you know, everybody could just kind of be pacifists and do whatever they want. Mm. Uh, and then th- Wolf 359 happens and everything changes mm-hmm. so what you've got is you've got a federation that have to develop technology that defend themselves you know um, everything other powers in the quadrant are starting to encroach in everything is just kind of getting a bit more bleak so what you've got is this design sensibility that evolves from that mm-hmm. you know you've got this kind of okay we need to we need to look more serious so our ships need to look meaner our weapons need to pack more of a punch our uniforms need to be more militaristic and mm-hmm. that's that kind of the design aesthetic because it kind of it it sort of applies to every ship you see built after the Enterprise E or around about the same time as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't see that many, but it does apply. I think. I think it does. Um, it certainly. Uh, I'm, I would be. I would agree that um, Starfleet definitely took a look at it itself after World Three Five Nine. Um, yeah. and decided well we need to be bigger we need to be better and there needs to be more of us Yeah, which is why by the time the Dominion War came about they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ships it's because they were not only because they were bringing things out of mothballs but because we had um, they, they had built more ships yeah the Akira class, for example, a, f- a fan favourite. You see it for m- m- just mom- mere moments in the film, yeah. and, at d- and at various different scales as well. Yeah. Um, but it's a fan favourite. Yeah. You see it in Voyager a few times. You do. You see one of them uh, in Vo- what, what Voyager episode is it where um, Seven of Nine goes back in time? Yeah, they're building v- one. Yeah. You see Voyager actually in spa- in a space dock. Um, and you see one Akira class being built and another one leaving. Yeah, there's some in the end game as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. So it's a. Uh, Let's not talk about that, though. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and it's just a good design. And it's, it looks very militaristic. And if you want to believe some of the hype about it, it's got umpteen hundred uh, torpedo launchers, which I, frankly, I don't like the idea of. You know, it's probably got like four or five. Four or five is just enough, and yeah. you don't. I don't prescribe to this nonsense that yeah, but you've got torpedo launchers that that are facing this way and that way. For no, uh, <laughs> the next generation has shown us that a torpedo can fly in any direction. Yeah. So you don't need um, your torpedo launchers to be uh, pointing in the one direction. It's a, 
and it's certainly a it's a more mature design aesthetic, I think, and it's more it certainly is. It's yes. more interesting to look at as well. I and mean, obviously, the the Enterprise E looks kind of. It's some of the CGI is a bit dodgy because it's nineteen ninety six, or uh, but it but still it, holds up. Yeah, it, there's just something about it that looks kind of too shiny, if you know what I mean. It's something they largely fixed by Nemesis, actually, but um, uh, but here it looks a little bit. Just, well, the, you know. the the Enterprise in First Contact is an actual model. Some of it is, yeah. Uh, most of it is. Uh, yeah. um, it's they they built. It was the I think it was the last motion capture model that they made. Made. But um, there, there is a lot of CGI in there as well, just to get the movements and things. But um, I mean, I mean, the only thing I noticed when I rewatched it the other day is the when you zoom in. Uh, on them walking along the hull, hmm. you can tell it was a model. Yeah. Yeah. That well, that was definitely a model. Yeah, that part. Um, you, you can just tell. Oh, that's a model. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's a nice looking film. Uh, the bridge set is really good as well. Very filmable, of course. Oh yeah, it's very. It's a really nice design. Yeah. Um, Again, I think John Eves had his hand in that. Yeah. For some reason, uh, Troy is still allowed to sit on there, but you know. <laughs> Well, they're probably at this point just put that seat in extra for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need a therapist. Yeah, no, we don't. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Enterprise always has the tendency of finding trouble. Yes, and I'm sure that's that's mentally taxing on people. Yeah, but the, yeah. So this, I mean, this film, uh, other than the design of it, this film focuses. Uh, quite tightly on Picard because it's all his kind of emotional journey. It's a revenge plot for him, essentially. You know, he hates the Borg and wants to get back at them for what they did to him, mm-hmm. which you can understand. And the fear is from Starfleet, certainly at the start of the film, is that his um, his vendetta that they think he has will get in the way of that. So they, they send the Enterprise off to the neutral zone to, you know, scan comets, which I'm sure most of the crew are quite happy about. I don't mm-hmm. know I would be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're not fighting the Borg. Great. Woo-hoo. <laughs> I, yeah. I might not. Yeah. I might not get assimilated this week. Brilliant. We, we get to stay out here. We're, this is a this is a brilliant job. It's a milk run. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I'll be scanning that comet if anyone needs me. <laughs> <laughs> and then Picard's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. What always struck me about the start of this film is you've got the the briefing. You know, obviously you see these every episode or sometimes four times an episode. Um, you know, so all the senior staff are getting together, having a chat about the what's going on, and you've got everyone there except Worf's replacement. So apparently, the chief tactical officer or the chief security officer isn't allowed in the meeting. I had not noticed that. In yeah, all this time, it's everybody except who who would replace Worf. It was indeed. It was <laughs> it's the same. It's almost you, like they didn't think of all that. Yeah, but the thing is, you've got this helmsman guy, you know, uh, Hawk, played uh, by Neil McDonough. Yes. He wouldn't, couldn't he have been the tactical officer? Yeah, yeah indeed, and just had <laughs> Ensign Gates back at the con. Just whoever, just some guy sitting there, who cares? Like, mm. you know, they never bothered with a pilot before. But. And it would, uh, yeah, hang on a second, no, it wouldn't explain why they needed a tactical officer. Maybe, ah, maybe they didn't have a tactical officer at that time, or even a stand-in one. Well, they'd have needed one, because essentially Worf left... So when Picard was getting a crew together for the Enterprise E, absolutely. What I, I was thinking about uh, the 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 time immediately preceding uh, 
the events in the film. Mm. Um, maybe the tax look officer was on leave because they, <laughs> yeah. as, as soon as Worf comes on and insists on coming to the bridge, what does Picard say? We, we could use you. We could use your help at uh, tactical because there's, yeah. no there's no one standing there. Yeah. So they even don't have a ta- the, um, even though they officer. someone fired the phasers and torpedoes that blew up the bar oh. cube. Well, yeah. Oh, it would appear that uh, at, at the time of need, when Red Alert came on, whoever was the next in line would be sitting at that, um, well, standing at that console. You'd always yeah. want you'd want it manned in a tactical situation, but that doesn't mean that the person who was who was there is the best for the job. And then yeah. on walks on your ex-tactical officer, who you <laughs> know is really good at the job. Yeah. Of course, you're going to say, right? Can you take that console for me, please? Well, of course. I mean, of course, the film doesn't really have time to establish that. Yeah. So this is a new you. And yeah, indeed. Yeah, you just stand next to him. So they needed they needed for the to get of the, film, the ship. Yeah, they needed Worf in his kind of old positions. And, it, you know. They needed yeah. the position open for him, and for whatever reason, it was open. Yeah, but <laughs> it's just there was no one there. But you know, yeah. Um, but I think Hawk could have been a good stand-in for that because Worf wasn't necessarily yeah. needed to do any uh, anything other than help them shoot at Borg. Indeed, he he didn't necessarily actually even have to take the the, the tactical con- console no. at any time. He could have just been on the ship because he was right. Quite rightly, they uh, they uh, they saved him. They beamed him off the Defiant. Um, and um, so he's already on the ship so they could have still ha- had him in the film and doing everything he did in the film he, they just didn't necessarily need him at the tactical console yeah uh, incidentally the battle of 001 sector 001 is really cool it's um, probably the most epic Star Trek battle se- se- sequence ever well I would say the scimitar battle sequence is, is impressive actually, as well actually yes no no you're quite right yeah uh, I forgot about that um, yeah. yeah, up until that point, that was probably the best battle sequence ever. Obviously, we got yeah. treated to a lot of battle sequences in the Dominion War arc. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, With but, stock footage uh, and and. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> the least said about that, the best. Uh, I mean, every now and then they did give us a smattering of new CGI. Every now and again. Uh, every now and again. Yeah. Um, but up until that point, that was the most epic battle sequence I'd ever seen in Star Trek. Yeah. Ships exploding, uh, lots and lots of ships all over the place. It was just brilliant, and it's very short as well. Weirdly, it yeah. is. You do. You only. See, I think someone cut it together, and it's only like twenty, twenty-five seconds long altogether. Yeah, yeah you've got the quick shot of the Defiant. Um, mm-hmm. You've got the the kind doing of... doing what she was designed to do finally, yeah. <laughs> and not not succeeding. Strangely, no. Well, she, yeah. there would. The Defiant class ship wasn't designed to take on a cube on its own. No, no, it was supposed designed, to be a few of them. Yeah. There was dis- there was supposed to be fleets of them, and they were just going to send waves and waves of them at them. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the Defi- there was only one Defiant at that point. Yeah. Well, that we know of, anyway. Well, at that time. Well, there was yes. definitely two. Really? The, the was... Valiant was was lost. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, the Valiant at, would have existed at that point. At that point, the Valiant yeah. would have existed. Yes, you know, you're quite right. Yeah, but. Seeing the Defiant in battle was quite cool. Um, I think it's the only one of the few, t- the first times you would have ever seen it in CGI as well. 
Indeed, and we so didn't, and we saw it, it from behind. Yeah, and we didn't, we didn't see it from the front. We saw it from behind. So none of that really horrible, mu- mucked up navigational deflector noise. <laughs> yeah, you kind of see it from above as well. That kind of yes, you do. It's view. really nice, and I like yeah. the I like the way you see it zipping and out of the 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 wreckage and stuff yeah. like that. It's really, really, really nice. Yeah, Ni- and it gives. It gives Worf such an epic introduction, you know, where the the bridge is in ruins and he's really angry and <laughs> like rah, ramming and, speed and beating his console. The the, the yeah. look of terror on the helmsman's face when he orders ramming speed. It's like, it's like oh, no, <laughs> it's like oh, it's really thought, bad news for the reserve to fight crew that day, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I really should have stayed in bed that day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. No, the, it's, it's turns really out my bad. shift is the day the Borg attack. Fantastic. The the the, the, the ship, the, the bridge is in utter tatters, and he's beating on this console. <laughs> it's like it is so wharf. He's, yeah. he's beating it out of sheer frustration. It's like, yeah. damn you for breaking on me. And he looks genuinely disappointed when the Enterprise shows up and he doesn't get to kill himself. <laughs> he's like, There's what? that kind of look of what. It's <laughs> like, ah, oh, bollocks. Yeah, and then the Enterprise shows up and then he doesn't get to kill himself. And he's kind of salty about it for a little while afterwards as well. Yeah, he's, he's, he's not 100% sold on the fact that he should not be on the... Sh- uh, shouldn't have destroyed himself and his crew. Yeah. Um, but... The Defiant yeah. crew are just like, thank God. And of course, the, the, the Klingon music just adds to it. You know, yeah. it, it, you couldn't have had any other music at that moment. Yeah, having the, the Klingon theme for... Um, for Worf, associated with Worf in this film is a stroke of genius. Yeah, it, ju- it, he- ju- it works. Report! Main power's offline, we've lost shields, our weapons are gone. Perhaps today is a good day to die. Prepare for running speed! Sir, there's another starship coming in. It's the Enterprise. He has so many great moments throughout as well. Um... I really like the uh, the bit, you know, he's he's always talking about how few shots they've got, and every time he tells it, it's a little bit less. So at first it's 12 shots, and then it's, you know, one or two shots, and, and so on. You know. It's good attention to detail. Yeah, and then, um, but the, the first thing he does when the Borg are alerted, when they're going after engineering, is he, he, he tells everyone to ready phasers, and then he uh, hits he, the he nearest twat- one with his phaser. Yeah, he twats <laughs> one over the head with yeah. his... The butt of the rifle. Yeah, not not a wasted <laughs> shot. No, is, well, yeah, that's that's per, that's exactly what a Klingon would do if you think yeah. about it. Klingons prefer hand to hand combat. Yeah, and it's obviously he knows how few shots they've got. He's got the opportunity to kill one without using uh, one of their few shots. So that's what he does. Indeed, and exactly. He reaches for his uh, mechleth later when they're out in zero g. Yep. Oh, that's 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 a nice scene. That is yeah. a good scene. Um, and then when he turns up afterwards, <laughs> and the dismembered hand of this of of this Borg with with the tubes coming off it, and that he's used that to repair his um, suit. That yeah. is just that is just so wharf. Just I wonder how he managed to get enough traction to tie a tight enough knot in the vacuum of space. Shh. <laughs> also, well, if if uh, Archer's suit self seals in, in Enterprise, why doesn't you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they hadn't thought of that at this. Uh, the script no, writers no. hadn't thought of that. No, Pot, or Worf gets in the defective suit. That's what yeah, happens. Exactly. That's what. It, that's, that's exactly what happens. That's the in-universe um, explanation. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, they weren't expecting Worf. There are no Worf-sized suits 
<laughs> so, um, apart from this one crappy one, uh, which they were going to replace, but seeing that you're here, wear it. Yeah, you, you won't uh, get hit, right? It's fine. That's that. That's definitely the in-universe explanation yeah. for that. And of it's, course, he gets the the Arnie line in that uh, in that sequence as well when he assimil- says, "Assimilate this." Before, yeah. Uh, even though that- no one's around to hear it. <laughs> well, Picard's there. Yeah, but I don't know if they're actually he's actually hearing it. Oh uh, yeah, um, well, there must be. There must be because they were talking to each other, but just before, yeah. um, just before the events that led up to that. Yeah. Assimilate this. <laughs> Yeah, Worf has so many cool moments, and obviously the the, the stare down he has with Picard on the bridge. Where um, oh yes, well yeah. you, you're nothing but a, you're you're just a coward. Yeah. That look that he gives, yeah. and you genuinely believe what he says. If you were anyone else, yeah, if you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand. And he would. Yeah, but the, the interesting thing, Picard doesn't flinch. No, when he hears that. He does not. Yeah. It, uh, what what we see there is the worst of both characters. Yeah. Um, Picard at is most angry and because all the way through the end, the next generation he's been cool, calm and collected, with the occasional small gripe. Hmm. Uh, but this one we sh- we in this in this film we let we see him if he had any hair let his hair <laughs> down. Yeah, we see his uh, his true internal internal character come out. Yeah, call, calling Worf. A coward is a very well calling any Klingon a coward when they're standing right in front of you is a foolhardy thing to do. Yeah, sir, we have lost the Enterprise. We should not sacrifice. We have not lost the Enterprise, Mister Wolf. We are not going to lose the Enterprise. Not to the Borg. Not while I'm in command. You have your orders. I must object to this course of action. The objection is-, is noted. With all due respect, sir, I believe you are allowing your personal experience with the Borg to influence your judgment. You want to destroy the ship and run away, you coward. John Luke. If you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand. Get off my bridge. It's later on when he when he apologizes and he says, I regret some of the things I said to you earlier. And and then <laughs> and then and then yeah, worse. <laughs> worse like some. Some <laughs> So like, you, you, you and I, we're going to have a chat later on. Yeah, it's like I'm going back to Deep Space Nine. <laughs> uh, screw you. Yeah, that could explain why he heads back to Deep Space Nine. Yeah, well, I, I think that he could... was going back there anyway. Indeed, uh, yeah. I think he was. He was just basically seconded to Admiral Hayes' fleet yeah. because he had a warship. Yeah, I'm going back to Deep Space Nine when I threaten to kill people. They uh, they take notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I regret some of the things I said to you earlier. Some. As a matter of fact, I think you're the bravest man I've ever known. Thank you, sir. See you on Grobetta Island. Yeah, it's a, it's just great. Um, and it's good to see Worf getting given stuff to do. I think he's pretty much always been my favourite Star Trek character. Especially with his... You know, the, this is the Deep Space Nine Worf you're seeing here, right? You know, the mm-hmm. version that's confident. He's, you know, he's a commander on his own. He knows a bit about command. He's, um, he's not taking orders blindly like he usually he used to. Well, he, he was he was put in command of of the the Defiant, wasn't he? Yeah, 
on, on Deep Space Nine and, in, in, and of course Deep Space Nine was his home yeah sorry and, um, yeah. the Defiant was his home he yeah. punked on the Defiant didn't he yeah eventually yeah um, and he yeah the, he was allowed to develop in Deep Space Nine in ways that he could never do in Next Generation you know they took the character in different directions and this is the version you see here uh, whereas in the other TNG films you see him um, kind of he's just kind of there to be laughed at yeah he doesn't do much in insurrection other than go through puberty again which is hilarious which is hilarious I mean yeah. it's quite literally Klingons don't do anything small <laughs> yeah um and then in Nemesis he really doesn't do much at all no he gets he, he gets drunk or he's hung over yeah yeah and talk, talks about Minsk a lot yeah uh, does he do that in Insurrection? I don't think he does that in Nemesis at all. I think he... Um... No, it's Insurrection, but... Um... No. I'm sure it's the Deep Space Nine finale he talks about Minsk, where he's telling O'Brien where he should move to. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. He keeps on saying... He keeps on repeating Minsk, 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 yeah. Minsk yeah, yeah. But yeah... Oh, um... no, because in the, in the, in the, in the wedding... Um... In the wedding reception scene, he's he's out he's out of his head on Romulan ale. Yeah, and and cursing Irving Berlin for some reason. Yeah. Well, he gets to sing in Insurrection, which is quite funny. But Gilbert and Sullivan. Ah, oh, that 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 was funny. Uh, that's a, probably one of the best scenes of that film, where Picarda sing and Worf just shakes his head at him. It was when he thinks Gilbert and Sullivan might be new crew members. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've not had time to familiarise myself with the new crew members. Yeah. No, Worf, it's a song. <laughs> they're composers. <laughs> they're, right, they're composers. <laughs> and then sing Worf, and he just looks at him so and shakes his head as to say, are you mad? Yeah. And I've always wondered about that scene where, you know, uh, something at Red Alert, you can get access to the karaoke software with three button presses. Yeah, indeed. So here's the phasers, here's the photons, and, and here's the karaoke. The karaoke. <laughs> here's the karaoke machine. The karaoke, you never know. The karaoke machine is is for when uh, you've shot your last torpedo <laughs> and you're about to die. Uh, you might yeah. as well sing. Yeah, just pass, so bizarre. Pass the, pass the time until that disruptor yeah. shot uh, incinerates you. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, on to Picard. I guess uh, we were kind of segueing away from Picard, but his. Mm. Yeah, I mean, his vendetta becomes more apparent as the film progresses. I think mm-hmm. he's he deals with it okay in the beginning, but as he starts losing his ship to them, mm-hmm. he lose you know he starts to lose his mind a bit. He does. He he does, and as as reference in the film, he does go a bit Ahab. Yeah, well, and Patrick Stewart had done Moby Dick, which I thought to this as well. Yeah, which I thought was a really nice coincidence. Yeah. I wonder if they actually wrote that scene. And that those lines to coincide with that or not? Yeah, could have been. Yeah, and, I wonder. And the interesting thing about this conflict is, um, or his internal conflict is Lily being there because she's a complete outsider. She just doesn't want to die. Yeah, you know, and uh, she mm. doesn't know anybody. She doesn't know anything about the situation, really. And of course, he falls for her. Uh, in a sense, I think actually Lily could have been any gender without affecting the story at all. Um. Yeah, oh yeah, indeed. I mean, uh, Picard um, kind of having um, eyes for her. I think he more respects her than anything else. I don't know. I think he's got eyes for her. He could too. Um. But I don't think that has anything 
it to do with the run of the film as such, no. or, or the events. Uh, like you say, could have been any gender, and uh, and everything would have turned out more or less exactly the same. Yeah, but the um, the way she challenges him on everything. So obviously, she's there, kind of. Mm. In the beginning, for the exposition, so that the Borg, what are they? And so Picard's like, this is what the Borg are. And then, you know, here's the 24th century. So it almost gives you a bit of a Star Trek crash course. Yeah. You know, for, for people that don't know the franchise. Actually, and that's quite, that's quite uh, a good observation. It's quite succinct as well. It's just, okay, in the 24th century, we don't have money. You know, we're better than that. Um, but, you know, if you try and download this film illegally, we'll come for you. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's that kind of. It's almost that sanctimonious season one of Next Generation type of chat, you know. So, no, almost, we're better than yeah. money, but, uh, almost, but the DVD yeah. sets of this TV series but, are a fortune. So but, slightly, but slightly yeah. less of the arrogance, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the whole promoting uh, togetherness and, and humanity and so on. Um, especially cut to Lily, who is just out of the Third World War. You know, Trump's just nuked the world. Mm-hmm. Um, or or the Eastern Coalition have just nuked the world. Someone's nuked the world. Mm-hmm. I imagine the Eastern Coalition rose up to defeat Trump. Maybe. Political. Well, she's, she's, he, he certainly thinks that um, him potentially being part of this Eastern Coalition is a bad thing. So he yeah. says, I'm not a member of the Eastern Coalition. Well, it's a bad thing for her. So it's a bad thing... Yeah. Yeah, it was a bad thing for her, yeah. So, so that's, he'll why know that, said, yeah. that's why he qualifies himself as not being part of it. Yeah, he'll know that she's American. The Eastern Coalition were, I assume, America's enemies. Or the Western Coalition, I suppose. Um, and so, yeah, he identifies as not being a member of them. Which is fine, you know, and it's enough for her to not vaporise him. Uh, but the interesting thing is, she's just out of a world war. She's probably looking for a bit of hope. Feels like things are a bit hopeless, because the Earth is in ruins, by the looks of things. Based on this... And along comes Captain Picard and crew. Yeah, and it's like, don't worry, in the future we thrive, and it's kind of because of you, sort of, you know, but they, yeah, if it wasn't for you scrounging together all that titanium and build a four metre cockpit, I wouldn't be here trying to save you. Indeed. Yeah, so there's that kind of positive message, so it, it does kind of teach her a bit about the future, but she also, this evolved sensibility that he claims to have, she sees that it's complete bull. At least in this case. Oh, that it's yeah, indeed. That one, when properly motivated, that goes out of the window. Yeah, and it's it reminds me of something Quark said in Siege of AR five five eight about humans are great when they're comfortable, you know, in their warm beds with the f- bellies full, etc. But you know, you take all that away, and they're as violent as the most bloodthirsty Klingon. Something like that. The the quote is along those lines. Yes. Yeah. No, so, yeah. I know yeah. So Picard is at his limit here, and he's not exactly behaving at his best it's also it's very personal for him because they yeah. took they took him away and they 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 made him destroy 39 ships and tens of thousands of personnel yeah and they used kind of knowledge. trying to do it again they used his knowledge yeah so he it's a personal vendetta it's um it's it's bringing all those feelings back admiral hayes was more or less correct in his um summation of the whole situation as a, no we need to keep you away from this yeah but it's a good job he died right because it's going to be like oh I can't believe can you believe I didn't let Picard join the fight that would have been a mistake uh, indeed yep. <laughs> yeah um, and of course Picard being uh, once Picard turns up on uh, turns up on the scene within about a minute the, it's gone. the, 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 the ship's destroyed 
Um, Although to be fair, sheer attrition had heavily damaged it up to that point. Oh, it had been it had been damaged, but it was still it was still nowhere near the point where um, the Starfleet were ships were going to stop it. No. Um, it's until Picard came along and says, "Right, target this inconspicuous area." Yeah. Although I do quite like the um, the idea that the you know the the Borg aren't that power- they aren't all powerful. If you just no, keep picking at yeah. them, you'll eventually get through. Exactly. They're, it's it's not our our weapons have no effect. It's just like it's just we've got BB guns and it'll take a while. But we if you keep at it, you will eventually wear them down. Yeah. May not be in enough time to do anything, but you know, possibly. Indeed, whether yeah. or not whether or not you can do it before they get to that vital place that you don't want them to get to, is yep. another matter. Yeah. So so there's that, but the but the idea is they're they're taking his ship away from him piece at a time. They're taking mm-hmm. his people away from him a piece at a time, and he's essentially at his breaking point. And that's why he keeps ordering people to their death. You know, when it's you know stand stand your ground, fight them hand to hand if you have to, and that's not a rational order. You know, and that's like. Essentially, what Worf could have done is, um, or what Crusher could have done is had him declared medically unfit, probably at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, or think, at least tried to. Yeah, but for some reason she goes along with it. Yeah, well, it's the whole idea of we carry out his orders, and, yeah. and she's like, this is crazy. You know, you're probably used to his orders making sense. And it's the bit where she walks into his ready room and starts with, you son of a bitch. And it's just, uh, that's it, that's the start of the conversation. It, but again, yeah, that, that needed. Is. That needed to. You. You. At that moment, they needed someone who wasn't Starfleet, who was just um, a civilian and straight to the point. Yeah, no one else could have done that except maybe the the Bolian barber. He could have maybe done or Guinan. Guinan's the kind of person that. Guinan. Guinan. Done that. If Guinan was on board, she, she probably she would have. She would have done it. Yeah, she wouldn't have swore at him, <laughs> but she would have. Um, she would have. She certainly would have told him. You know, look, right. How long have we been friends? Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Kind of, why are you on the bridge? It's like, well, they've assimilated my pub, so... Uh, yeah, indeed. Well, <laughs> they assimilated whatever the the Enterprise E's version of 10 Forward is. Yeah. There is a... They, they do name it in one of the um, one of the books. I forget what it's called. Riker calls it something, and it's very kind of new-agey, or old-agey, but new-agey from our yeah. point of view. You know, it's like... Um, yeah, but anyway, so Lily had to be the one to do it because she was disconnected enough from the situation to, to tell him how it is and make him see everything he's doing and it's the fact that she calls him out for being a murderer you know or mm-hmm. enjoying killing because he you know obviously he enjoys the shooting the Borg down with a Tommy yep. gun exactly I saw it in your eyes yeah and she sees it all the time and she recognises the signs and, and Picard doesn't like that you know he he obviously reacts with anger and then uh, breaks his little ships <laughs> which yeah. is of course you know which is of course a metaphor for what he would be doing if he didn't destroy the Enterprise and let the Borg win uh, yep yeah the um, little bit of trivia on those ships those were definitely they, those were literally last minute additions really? yeah um, John Eves mm-hmm. again John Eves is in, he recounted how um, they told him they needed um, models to go into the ready room yeah. Sorry, the um, <coughs> observation lounge, and those were Ertl kits, Ertl <laughs> model kits, which he paid to get vacuum form, vacuum um, metalized in gold, hmm. uh, out of his own pocket, more or less. He just so they could break them. 
he handed the over, handed them over to him uh, to to the production staff, who instantly put them up and then just started filming, and then they get destro- they get more or less destroyed. He's actually still got one or two of them. Hmm. Interesting. So there you go. Little little bit of trivia. But yeah, it's it's a really powerful scene. And, uh, it is a powerful scene yeah. where, where he takes that um, rifle and just smashes the the. What is it? It's a, it's a glass cabinet, it's isn't just, it? Yeah, it's a case. A display, yeah, case. A display case. case. Yeah. There you go. Just glass display case in sheer anger. Yeah. And that shows you this anger that he's got against the Borg. You know, the 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 personal hate he has against them. It's it's. I don't think we've ever seen Picard that angry. No, definitely not. Um because even when he is angry, he uses it well. You know, it's kind of indeed. Yeah, it's to make a point. In throughout the entire series, he's um, cool, calm, collected. Even if he is angry, you know, I mean, you, you see it um, in one of the ep- what the episode where um, Maxwell takes uh, the Phoenix. Yeah. Um, you see him look at um, Mark Alamo's character. He's, it's not. Is it? It's not Descartes. It's um, no. It's some random Cardassian. Yeah. Some you see him. You see the anger in his eyes. Yeah. You know we will be watching you, mm. and stuff like that. But he doesn't let the anger out. He doesn't let it um, cheapen his stance, as it were. He doesn't let it. Um, he, he just keeps it within. But in this film, he just can't. He just lets it out. Yeah. And uh, Lily just is the catalyst. She, she yeah. She brings it out of him. Yeah. Exactly, and then makes him realise. Yeah, it's the it's the Ahab reference that, that reminds him. Yeah, yep, that that was to to use a, an old cliche. That was the camel. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. You son of a bitch! This really isn't the time. Okay, I don't know jack about the twenty fourth century, but everybody out there thinks that staying here and fighting the Borg is suicide. They're just afraid to come in here and say it. The crew is accustomed to following my orders. They're probably accustomed to your orders making sense. None of them understand the Borg as I do. No one does. No one can. What is that supposed to mean? Six years ago, they assimilated me into their collective. I had their cybernetic devices implanted throughout my body. I was linked to the hive mind. Every trace of individuality erased. I was one of them. So you can imagine, my dear, I have a somewhat unique perspective on the Borg, and I know how to fight them. Now, if you will excuse me, I have work to do. I'm such an idiot. It's so simple. The Borg hurt you. And now you're going to hurt them back. In my century, we don't succumb to revenge. We have a more evolved sensibility. Bullshit! I saw the look on your face when you shot those Borg on the holodeck. You were almost enjoying it. How dare you? Oh, come on, Captain. You're not the first man to get a thrill from murdering someone. I see it all the time. Get out! Or what? You'll kill me? Like you killed Ensign Lynch? There was no way to save him. You didn't even try. Where was your involved sensibility then? I don't have time for this. Oh, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your little quest. Captain Ahab has to go hunt his whale. What? 
You do have books in the 24th century. This is not about revenge. Liar! This is about saving the future of humanity! Jean-Luc, blow up the damn ship! No! No! broke your little ships. See you around, Ahab. And he piled on the whale's white hump the sum of all the rage and hate felt by his whole race. If his chest had been a cannon, and of course he realises the error of his ways and then you get self-destruct although obviously it doesn't play out that way they don't destroy the Enterprise and get stranded in the 21st century But although he was prepared to do so at that point yes, the the fact that he was willing to do it spoke volumes indeed and and for some reason Worf has command codes (laughs) yeah, indeed (laughs) the way I I explain that is Obviously, if you if you're getting them to take the tactical con, tactical position, and become part of the crew for the while, for a while, you tell the you tell the computer, "Oi, this guy <laughs> needs command codes." Well, I look at it like uh, Starfleet has a login, right? And your login works anywhere. <laughs> All Picard had to do is get the IT department to uh, to give him permission to use yeah. the. Uh... That's a very good idea, Rick. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So the same command codes would have worked on a Define or yeah. DS9. But I all like he had that. to do was have the tactical, the tactical console unlocked on the Enterprise. You know, he has to phone IT. It's like that'll be uh, three <laughs> f- that'll be three to five working days. It's like right, we're in the middle of a Borg attack, so uh, speed it up, please. Yes, please. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, massive interstellar phone bill. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, um, they've outsourced it to Alpha Centauri. <laughs> Where a guy with a very, very bad accent calls himself Michael. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, so... And what I quite liked about the... What I always liked about the Borg in the series was that they were this kind of... They were this collection of entities. You know, they were this... It was terrifying because they were this this hive mind. There was, you know, all these all these resources brought in and to to bear on you and it was yeah. it's terrifying because you can't defeat an enemy like that you know there you can were, yeah especially their adaptability yeah that that was i mean that was terrifying you know within a couple of shots they they were they had their own per- they were being able to deflect um the primary weapon of um, away teams and um yeah. whatnot i mean like oh wow 
Yeah, that starts to feel a bit video game after a while, though, doesn't it? You know, it's like, oh, they've adapted again. Oh, well. You know, it's... Um, and they, they finding are. the Borg in some video games has been quite frustrating for that reason. Mm-hmm. The, the, they, are, they are the, the biggest, baddest um, adversary in Star Trek history, if you ask me. Until Voyager, anyway. <laughs> well, I think they were a bit overused in Voyager, to be honest. Yes, and they got weaker every time. Well, I like... For a while, when a species... Spoilers. When spe- <laughs> Species 8472 were announced, when I first saw that episode, I'm like, holy crap, something that just manages to dispatch a, uh, a bog cube with ease. I'm like, holy crap... Please let these be friends of ours. <laughs> you know? But then later on, you know, they, they got less threatening as time went on because Voyager's this tiny ship that shouldn't really be able to face them. No, exactly. After the, the, the arrangements of that episode where Species 8472 and everything come in, um, after that they should have posed much more of a threat because the Borg have got what they want so they don't care about Voyager anymore. In, in, yeah. any, in any normal situation... The Voyager, the size of the Voyager, would have had her taken within minutes. Yeah. Well, if you look at the episode where Voyager fights the tactical cube, yes. you know, and it, and it takes, I don't know, a dozen hits or something like that, and, and keeps going. But, you know, in reality, it's like, oh, that's two of them. Yeah, they, okay, they've hit them twice. That should be them destroyed now. Mm. Bog weapons aren't always that powerful. I think it's, they would have been on a tactical cube, they, though. They have, um, they just have the ability of being able to get through your shields. Yeah, but you would think those torpedoes would be high yield. Oh well, yes, I suppose. I suppose, yeah. Yeah, and well, they're certainly not in this film where they're barely any more powerful than your average grenade. Mm. When when they're orbitally bombarding Montana, you know, it should have wiped it off the map. Well, yeah, but then <laughs> short film. Yeah. Ah. Montana's been taken off the map. No first contact. Right, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just let's, bizarre. Let's, let, let's, yeah. Find, let's find somewhere to, to spend the rest of our lives in self-destruct the ship so that we don't <laughs> contaminate timeline. Yeah, end of Star Trek. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, they had to make the, uh, the weapons um, slightly less powerful than they would, would actually be. Hmm. Um, and some could say it was. It might not even been torpedoes. Might have been disruptor shots. Maybe. Yeah, I think they were torpedoes though. Because um, it's never actually, it's never actually disclosed what they're shooting. No, but they would be more powerful than your average grenade. <laughs> they would be definitely. Yeah. But uh, like you say, that would have wiped out the entire complex and thirty, forty miles around. Yeah. So the no, the, that would have been <laughs> a short. That would have been a very, very short film. Yeah, it would have been. But other than that, I mean, it's just that this is nitpicking, right? You know, it doesn't really yeah, it hurt is. the film too much. You know, so no, I'm not saying this is a crap film because the the board didn't wipe Montana off the map within yeah, two you, minutes. You can see past yeah. that. We've seen yeah. that kind of thing, <clears throat> that kind of thing, eh, all through the series and other films as well. Yeah. It, it's just for some reason or another they don't have that same effect at yeah. that point. It's like Clark Kent wears the glasses and no one recognizes that he's Superman. Get over uh, it. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so if you can yeah. believe that, you can believe this. Thank you very yeah. much. Next. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back to what I was saying about the Borg. Now, I keep mm. getting distracted by other Star Trek stuff. Bloody Star Trek. Damn um, it. <laughs> uh, 
I think the introduction of a Borg Queen in this film is a mistake, and I think it highlight it's actually the downward spiral you know like in Return of the Jedi how the Ewoks are the start of what the nonsense you get in the prequels Um, Mm. and this I think the Borg Queen is kind of counter to what the Borg are supposed to be about it is kind of counter yeah but it's also it's it's explains she brings chaos yeah it is well it's it's cryptically she brings order to chaos yes Uh, you have a hive mind but even the way I see it, it's, I think this is the way I, I saw it explained. Uh, a beehive, all the bees yeah, they, are working. All the, the bees are wor- All the yeah. bees are working together. Um, they can operate independently, but they can they also work well together. But they have this one queen that sends out chemical signals. Right, do this, do that, do the other. So it kind of yeah. makes sense in that in that perspective. Um, it does, but I, I also don't I think the Borg it was, needed it. No, I don't think I don't think so. No, but it is what it is. She's there, yeah. and she is a focal point for um, anger and for uh, things happening. Yeah, believe it or not, she exists because of studio execs. They said that the people wouldn't respond to the Borg being this disembodied voice, which I disagree with. Well, I think studio, if Data had been talking yeah. to the hive mind, it would have been fine. Studio execs very rarely know exactly what they're talking about. Yeah, I and mean, to then, this day, they, to this day, they still don't understand why Star Trek works. Yeah, and they've shown they don't understand it. Yeah. So yeah, so and the Borg Queen is well. It's the start of the downward spiral for the Borg because then she just becomes this other voice or a view screen in Voyager, and then it's you know it's not so great, mm. um, but. In this film, I think she's fine because Alice Krieg, I think you pronounce it, has oh. presence. Yes. She's a very yeah. good actress. Yeah, and interestingly, she spends very little time interacting with Patrick Stewart. Indeed. They she's only have there. one scene together. No, exactly. She's there, for, she's there for Data. Yeah, and she's there to tempt Data, and you can sort of... And, and those scenes are quite good, uh, the way that she puts skin on him and I, the I, fully I, functional... I think... Yeah. I, I, Indeed, I, 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 I think what they went with there is with the Locutus um, fiasco, she understood that uh, humans do not desire to be um, assimilated, therefore yeah. Picard fought her all the way, so yeah. that therefore using a human to bridge the gap isn't going to work, so we need, we need something that we can, we need someone who we can tempt in other ways mm. enter data yeah, and, and they she thought she really worked. Cool. She thought she it had worked. Yeah, they do a really cool bait and switch with that because it does. Mm. Certainly, the first time I saw it, I remember being convinced and said, "Oh no, he's one of them." And yeah. I remember being in the trailer that he, you know he does the resistance is futile line. Um, yeah, because they use that for the trailer because Data needs a trailer line apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, you know, he he fires the torpedoes at the Phoenix. Indeed. For some reason, fires four, which feels a bit overkill. <laughs> So that that'll be one, and then the other three will just pass through. You know? Yeah, indeed, uh, the, the, <laughs> the phoenix wouldn't have survived even the impact, let alone the explosion. Yeah, yeah so of the first well, one, it's a bit overkill. But it's the um, yeah, the fact that he messes up the trajectory just a little bit, so they fly off to the side, mm-hmm. and then it's luckily there's no side windows in the on the phoenix at that point. You know, so I, 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 I remember, I remember some ga- hearing some gasps in the cinema. You yeah. know, when when. When data goes no, yeah, and it's the resistance is futile 
is the kind of middle finger to the Queen as well. Indeed, I, I, I yeah. like that. Even though I hate the way he pronounces futile, <laughs> it's futile, not futile. Yeah. Well, Data always had his own way of saying things. Indeed. Um, yeah. But you'd think that Data would know how to pronounce futile. Yeah. But hey, that's just a small thing. Although the the holographic doctor pronounces it futile as well. Yeah, Americans. Resistance is futile. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, uh, the, the bait and switch works. You know, it's really. It good certainly does. I mean, it took because me because Picard surprise. believes it as well. It, yeah, indeed he does. He 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 truly believes, and of course, importantly, the Queen does as yeah. well. She yeah, thinks she's had, she's got him, and she's dispatched pretty quickly. Obviously. Oh, she is. Yeah. It, it, yeah, I think that's that's. I think that's a shorthand for um, your arrogance and your technological superiority will do you no good. Yeah, yeah, and, and Data's always good. I mean, he's one of my favourite characters as well. I think he oh, was Brent Spiner is just great. And, and his ma- the, his makeup this the, in this film, oh, that was in, insane. Yeah, except the bit where his face is made out of plaster when they're drilling into it. Yeah. Although because <laughs> it's it's sort of skin like up until that point, and then you've got the whole, you know, it's like they're they're drilling into plaster. Yeah, you, you see past that though. Yeah, obviously, it's, yeah, special effect and stuff. But but uh, uh, the, some... the whole side of his face being um, raw android uh, that was awesome. Yeah. You always the wanted Phantom to know of the Opera type thing. Yeah. yeah, you always wanted to know what he looked like underneath the artificial skin. Well, now you know yeah. we do. <laughs> Yeah. Lots, lots of randomly blinking lights. Yeah, lots of LEDs for some reason. Yeah. Oh, they went crazy LEDs with LEDs, everywhere. didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I, like, I, we can afford LEDs. You know, I, no, I, I noticed something. So, um, in one of the assimilation sequences that you see when they're um, assimilating um, crew members, yeah, that w- the woman that's got the thing on her eye, and then you mm-hmm. see you see the other one put put um, the external eye module down. Mm. The transparent bit on it. It's actually the. It looks like anyway, the top of the warp crystal from an en- Enterprise E. <laughs> looks like they've just taken that, not painted it, put it down, and then stuck more greeblies on it. Oh. If you if you look back into it, because you, you see it in full screen, it's right there. It's mm-hmm. quite obvious. It's a hexagonal uh, piece of um, plastic with um, raised sections, which would have been the frame. Mm-hmm. Around the around the panes of glass or crystal or whatever uh, it's made out of uh, on the uh, on yeah. the Enterprise. So there you go. I noticed that the other, I was like, ah, <laughs> fantastic. So, even in this film, th- despite the budget, they're using bits of Star Trek models and stuff like that. Yeah, they always did that, didn't they? Uh, they, they always did, and I liked how they did that. They just added that yeah. little bit in. I mean, they could yeah. they could have gotten a completely custom bit bit made. No, no, let's use bits from Ertl models. Yeah, there's weird with them. Um, data is a bit inconsistent in between films, actually, all of them, because it, in, at first in Generations they say that the emotion chip was fused into his neural net, couldn't be yep. removed, and then so essentially at the end of Generations he was stuck with it. He was yep. stuck with emotion. He had to deal with it like anybody else does, mm-hmm. and now. By first contact, for whatever reason, he can turn it off and on. That has been the subject of many a discussion yeah. between me and my friends over the years. Yeah. And then he can remove it in the next film. Yes. And then there's no mention of it in Nemesis whatsoever. No. So, no, yeah. no, 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 because it's not pertinent to any conversation in Nemesis. 
Yeah. But um, he's also not showing any emotion in Nemesis either. No, there I was, suppose it's not. There no. was something in the novelization about the it overloaded or something like that, but um, it doesn't yeah, work I, anymore. I think um, the... The, as I said, we, me and my friends, we've been having, we've had many discussions about this over the years, yeah. and I think we all mostly agree on that. In in between, um, of generations and first contact, um, Geordi and Data obviously did some work and figured out, okay, it's not actually completely fused. We can re- we can reverse this mm. and fixed it. Yeah, well, it was Doctor Crusher that made the determination, wasn't it? Yeah, what does she know about cybernetics? Mm, indeed. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, she knows it's about quite... as much about cybernetics as Troy knows about piloting. Oh, burn, <laughs> burn! Yeah. To, to be fair, the ship was already out of control when she took the sh- took the seat. Yeah. Well, no, um, not at that point. Actually, uh, no, it, no, it wasn't. No, no, the, right, the, right, but the first thing she does is turn all the main guns away from the enemy. Which is yeah, you know, for some reason fantastic piloting. Like yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> the, the, you see those phasers that could just vaporize the enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah like, yeah, let's make sure that they're not pointing anywhere near it. <laughs> yeah, bloody true. That, because that's a good idea. Yeah. Well, oh, wait, the yeah. other thing. Yeah. Although in this film she gets drunk, which is funny. It, it's funny, you know. Uh, it is, and the way she then she then just collapses on uh, yeah. on the table as well. Yeah, and I've always enjoyed Jonathan Frakes' acting, and it's kind of, it's especially apparent in scenes like that where he's not the focus, but if you watch him during those scenes, he's like, he's acting his ass off, you know, you see a lot of people who are just quite passive in these kind of scenes, but he's sitting there grinning away and and reacting, and it's quite good, you know, I always like how, um, even if you watch view screen chats where Picard's standing in front of the view screen, if you watch Riker in the background, he's always up to something. He, he he is. He definitely is. He's, uh, he's often overlooked. Yeah. But in but in this film, he's uh, he, he does pretty well. He, he does. does. He's, he's a really. I like that line. The line as well, when she says, "I'm just trying to blend in," and says, "Oh, you're blended all right." <laughs> you're blended all right. Yeah. That's just brilliant. <laughs> I needed three shots of something called tequila <laughs> to find out he was the one I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before you tell me that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, it's great. And and. Uh, and obviously, he's about to, you know, have a little chair dance to the music, and that's when she, her face hits the tip. Yep, and then yeah, he's he, he's starting to jive along with the music, yeah. and then she flumps down, and he just sort of like, what the? <laughs> it's like, oh no, she's out, she's gone. Yeah, and I think we have to tell him the truth. If we tell the truth, the timeline. Timeline. This is no time to argue about time. We don't have the time. What was I saying? You're drunk. I am not. Yes, you are. Look, he wouldn't even talk to me unless I had a drink with him. And then it took three shots of something called tequila just to find out he was the one we're looking for. And I've spent the last 20 minutes trying to keep his hands off me. So don't go criticizing my counseling technique. Sorry. It's a primitive culture. I'm just trying to blend in. You're blended all right. There's all sorts of little good moments like that on the, the planet surface. I think that's where most of the comedy in the film comes from. Yeah. And um, they didn't need to, but squeezing Reg in. 
Yeah, having Barkley there. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that's and him geeking out. Yeah. You know, just going completely starstruck. It's just yeah. that. That is just so wonderful. <laughs> and they still didn't manage to get rid of Barkley between ships. <laughs> they got a new ship and Indeed. he's still there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like, oh my god, I've just seen who's who's been reassigned. Yay! Yeah. Oh, uh, Barkley's back. Uh, no. <laughs> like a, some, somebody tell him this, the ship's been destroyed. Oh no, he's, oh, he's standing right behind me, isn't he? Yeah. Oh dear, okay. <laughs> yeah, but that's where most of the comedy comes from and you've got the whole... Yeah. The con- first confirmation that people pee in the, the 24th century. <laughs> i got to take a leak. Yeah. Leak? I'm not detecting any leak. <laughs> yeah, that was good. And uh, obviously he gets phasered. And, yeah. Yeah, that was that, that's a nice little scene as well, where he gets phasered and he fill, falls into that little stream and is like, Bruh. Yeah. It's great. And, uh, yeah, I don't... I, I can't really think of anything further to say about the surface stuff, because there's... It's kind of a bit... You know, the, the, mechanical, the music, oh, the music, yes. yeah. the music. I loved, I love the music. It's like, oh, we can't leave without it. Yeah, you know, and that music just fits that scene so p- wonderfully. Yeah, and I've got yeah, we're, with his little, what are those things? What is that technology? That little, <laughs> so, some sort of optical disc. Yeah, those little mini disc things. It's mm. like, this is this is what they'll be listening to using to listen to music in the twenty first century. Uh, nope. <laughs> no, we've we've already, we've already beaten you with tiny, tiny, tiny little cards. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that Star Trek did not predict. No. Yeah. They don't uh, always get it right. No. But I've always uh, I've always thought about when Enterprise. You know, there was a big theory that there was a um, alternate reality. It was an alternate reality caused by obviously the events in this film because there is a sequel event in Enterprise. Um, mm-hmm. And I've always kind of thought. That, that theory has legs because when um, people are saying, you know, oh, look, the design of Enterprise, it's kind of, it doesn't show that they're evolving into whatever the design will be later on because mm-hmm. it's just, it's fine, you know, everything's great. Yeah. Um, see, see, we. Veiled at first time, but Cochrane sees that shape. He does. It, yeah. It's interesting that you mention that because I suggested that in a, a different, a, a very similar conversation. Uh, someone was t- was poo-pooing Enterprise and saying yeah. uh, it's it's bullcrap that they came up with that design straight away. You know, uh, they they would have had something completely different first. Yeah. Uh, and I'm saying, well, no, wait. Cochrane was alive when they designed the ship, and Cochrane had seen a small image of the Enterprise in his in his um, telescope. Also, a very uh, large image of the Enterprise when he well, gets into orbit. Yeah. Oh yes, indeed. Yeah, but he doesn't. He doesn't see it in. Com- he doesn't see the full axis of it. He, he no. What I'm trying to say is, he doesn't see the full design of it. Yeah. Um, he only sees glimpses of it and certain angles, which are quite restrictive and don't show him the the complete shape. Um, and obviously, running off memory, memory does fun funny things over 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 the years. Mm. It's conceivable that. What you see Enterprise being is what he remembers seeing. Yeah, because it's that basic shape. The basic shape, saucer with saucer with two nacelles coming off it. Yeah, he he just forgot about the um, he can't re- recall the the the, the secondary uh, hull bit, or couldn't find a way to get the engine to drag that entire structure. Precisely. Yeah. Limit limitations of his time and all that. Exactly. So yeah. I, I I can quite <clears throat> believe that that. That that would be an, uh, uh, a suitable in-universe explanation. 
Yeah, and he heard the name, right? You know, he heard Enterprise. So yeah. Like, I'm going to call my ship that. But you could you could imagine that the timeline that Picard comes from, you know, if, if you subscribe to the Star Trek 2009, every instance of time travel creates an alternate reality type situation. Mm-hmm. Which, if you do, it could be that the timeline that Picard originally came from, Cochrane's, well, Archer ship was called something else and looked different as well. It's quite possible, that, and that's why the uh, there's no en- Enterprise model, the NX model, on the uh, the, the ready room. Yeah. Sorry, the the observation lounge of the Enterprise D. Yeah. Other or, than that, they didn't or, come up with it yet. But yeah. indeed, <laughs> or ex- exactly, or uh, in the rec room of the Enterprise. Uh, yeah. in motion picture yes they didn't come up with it as the idea at the time but mm. the in-universe explanation could well be that yeah could be we'll never know it's all speculation it's fun it, speculation it's, 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 it's speculation yeah and some people will go ah that's crap yeah you know you're talking out of your butts uh, and other people will go yes actually I can prescribe to that yeah I believe yeah that's a very good idea I yeah. mean personally that's the way I've been explaining it to myself, and that's I think that's why it annoys my friend. One of my, <laughs> my friend hates um, how um, Enterprise conceivably destroys all of canon. Well, I mean, I think every aspect of Star Trek destroys canon in some in, way. In one way, nothing's or another, consistent. Exactly. If you look at if you look and examine all of Star Trek, at one point or another. Every single iteration of it has screwed up something from the other iterations. Yeah. It just, no matter how. I mean, I think the only exception would be probably the original series, seeing that the original series um, was the, the beginning. You can't fault it for screwing anything up. Well, that was inconsistent throughout because they were laying the groundwork and coming up with ideas. But oh, what exactly. But you, you have is ideas and. You know, they, I think they call Starfleet Space Central in, in season one and stuff like that yeah, until United, they come up with Starfleet. And then you had United Spaceship as well. Yeah, and there was point. the United Earth Space Probe Agency that apparently in, they represented. The, it, oh yeah, I remember that as well. Yeah, yeah and that that suddenly just disappeared out of reference. Yeah, and, and people have retconned it to mean that you know it is a division of Starfleet or something. You know, it's that yeah, kind or, of stuff. But, or a very very early. Yeah, some, I think some some people say that's what Enterprise is. Representing, yeah, except it's not because it's a it's Starfleet not. ship. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's just the Earth Starfleet, Indeed. as opposed to Federation Starfleet, because the which, Federation doesn't exist at yeah, that. Moment, which gets exactly. around the whole Spock was the first Vulcan in the Federation Starfleet. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. He was the first Vulcan in, yeah, exactly in in the Federation Starfleet, not not Earth Starfleet. Yeah, and as we know, Vulcans embrace technicality. <laughs> we, I'm a Vulcan. We embrace it. Was that to Paul that said that? No, it was uh, Spock and Into Darkness. Oh yes, indeed. Yep, <laughs> one of the one of the good one of his best that, lines. I like. No, yep, I remember yeah. it now. Yeah, because he's getting. Uh, sad. I remember too he's much getting... about that damn film. It has its moments. It has mm, its moments. Well, we, we did a whole podcast we, on yeah, it. Exactly. We've had this. We've had that discussion. We've had that discussion. Let's not have it again. I'll never have to watch it again. It's gone. Yeah, I don't yeah, need yeah, it anymore. Let's, let's not. Let's not put you through that again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, so we've burned our way through most of the film, I think. I don't think we've missed that much. But obviously we haven't talked about the ending, which is historic, as I yes. see in my notes. Love the music for it. Yes. That, uh, that, it's that, that kind of... That whole scene, lovely. Yeah, it's that whole sense of destiny, almost. You know, this Indeed. kind of history is being made before our eyes. And, and the uh, I love how the 
next generation crew are standing in the back just taking it all in but making Indeed. sure they don't get noticed as well exactly they're just standing in the background just being part of the the, the larger crowd that's uh, watching yeah. Uh, because they're in they're in civilian clothing as well, so they they yeah. blend in, and then they just quietly disappear as um, as the Vulcans get down to talking. Yeah, um, and <laughs> yeah, and Cochrane obviously doesn't make the best first impression, but he does yeah. the, the handshake thing, which is yeah. uh, he tries to do the salute and then he does the handshake. If I remember then... correctly, James Cromwell can't actually do the salute; he can't actually do it. So yeah. you see him, you seeing him um, struggling is genuine, apparently. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but he tried, and that's the important thing. That's the exactly. kind of cultural diversity that, that they're trying to promote. And then when you think about what the Vulcans become in early Enterprise, it's a bit strange, you know. But it certainly is. But then yeah. those were slightly different Vulcans to what we knew from uh, original series onwards, which gets explained. Yes. And it gets explained. I mean, I, I for, at first I thought I didn't quite like the brashness and the arrogance of the um, of the Vulcans in Enterprise until it was explained to me. Yeah. Uh, in uh, is, is it in season five or is it in season four? four? four. There is no season five. No, no, yeah. <laughs> I've got. Do you know why I said that? Because I've just looked at a graphic from um, you know how Doug Drexler did a, a refit design for yes. the Enterprise. Um, that's, right. that's that's up, up up on my screen with a um, huh. save, save season five now graphic because <laughs> they, they were trying to get a season five for Enterprise, but yeah, uh, it's not going to happen. No, Discovery has uh, put that um, to bed. It was never going to happen. It was never going to happen. But now with Discovery, it's definitely never, ever, ever, ever going to happen. No. no. Um, but no, there, there was that design. That's why I said that. Yeah, but... Um, and then it gets explained, and I'm like, ah, oh, okay. Now, that, now it makes sense. Yeah, it's that, a... Yeah, and it's a great ending. Um, it's just I mean, the... Getting back and, to and it's great how he, Yeah, it's great how he plays the music. You know, and the Vulcan just stands off, yep. and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> no, 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 there's just music. It's just music because it's a le- Vulcans have got good hearing, so yeah. hearing hearing music at that decibel um, that he he was already playing it really loud. Yeah, um, that would have been a little um, shocking for them. They're like, what, what on earth? But it's also the fact that Cochrane is clearly, by their standards, uncultured. <laughs> yeah, indeed, he's he's also. I don't know if he's if he's had a, a bit to drink at that point or not, but um, probably. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, he's he's indeed he's feeding them drink, more yeah. pre- presumably um, yeah. tequila, uh, <laughs> which is a god awful thing to give someone yeah, who's just course. who's yeah. new to the uh, planet. Um, yeah, it's it's just a brilliant scene. You see him dancing away, and then then Lily looks up and she sees the Enterprise warp off yeah. into that distortion. And then you've got the music. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Precisely. Nothing more needs said. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah, it's like, okay, um, because it, it tells you that the kind of, the, the way Cochrane is around the Vulcans, the fact that he's quite insensitive to their needs that he's playing them, you know, bad music, or, mm. well, the music isn't that bad, but he's playing them pretty, pretty offensive sounding music, you know, it's quite loud and all that stuff, and he's not like... He's not this, he's not acting like your traditional diplomat would. You know, it's not as if he's a UN ambassador. He's just some guy, you know, that, that exactly. built a warp engine. So he's their first taste of Earth. And you can see you can see how that might hurt relations a bit. They're like, well, they've discovered warp drive, but they're like 
You should see their plan. It's insane. It's you know, Indeed. it's burnt to a crisp. This, this guy's a lunatic. <laughs> you know, and, and it, it has already been preceded by the fact that um, they weren't actually going to have a look at Earth because yeah. they found it too primitive. Yeah. And the only reason why they go on and look at Earth is because they f- detect the warp signature, and then yeah. they go, "Oh, well, these people might not be as um, primitive of, as we thought they were." And it's like, and nope, then, they are. <laughs> yeah, they are. Oh well. So yeah, let, let, let's keep them out of the cosmos for a hundred years. Yeah, and bit of trivia: apparently, the Vulcan that lands is Sarek's grandfather. Now that I hadn't heard of, Solcar. Uh, it was mentioned in an episode of Enterprise. Huh. The, one of the it was in the catwalk episode. Uh, one of the ensigns or crewmen or something asks Archer. They're doing a quiz because they're bored and they're sitting in nacelle casings. Um, <laughs> You know, they're doing a quiz and it's like, what's the name of the first Vulcan? You know, the Vulcan that made first contact. And he's like, Solcar, I think. You know, and um, yeah, so Sarek's grandfather. That's cool. That's a that's a connected family. Yep, and it's not Pierce Brosnan that's playing him. Even though mm. he looks remarkably like Pierce Brosnan <laughs> from the time. Oh, he does a bit, yeah. He, he does. At first I thought it was. I had yeah. to watch. I had to watch the credits. He has one line, doesn't he? It's just live yeah. long and prosper. That's all he ever says. Indeed. Yeah. That's um, all he says. He even sounded slightly like him. Yeah, a little bit, I suppose, yeah. I never really made that connection, but now I see it in my head. Mm-hmm. Watch yeah, that scene and listen to it as well. Yeah. And he sounds and looks a lot like Pierce Brosnan from, uh, uh, of the time. Hmm. But yeah, it's a great ending. It's an absolute... It is. It, yeah. There's, yeah, you've got live long and prosper, and then that's it. That's the last uh, words, isn't it? Uh, other than the words of the song, yes. Other than the words from the song, uh, there is no I think Cochrane dialogue. says thanks or something like that. And then after that, you've got uh, Picard's yes, goodbye yes, to does. Lily. Yes, yeah. he does. Yeah, 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 indeed. No, you're quite right. Pic- I, yeah. You're and quite Picard right. has that quite poignant speech with Lily where, uh, you know, she says, I envy you the world you're going to, and I envy you taking the your first steps into a new frontier. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's quite powerful. I, f- I just seem to recall for some reason I seem to recall that was before the live long and prosper bit but uh, mm. no I think you're right Yeah, and there's um, there's some techno babble nonsense up on you know up on the Enterprise where it's you know the moon disguised our warp signature so the Vulcans didn't oh, detect it. Yeah. Like, I, I yeah. right then <laughs> they can just de- they can detect a warp signature from across the the from across the the sector. Yeah, but they can't detect a warp signature from behind a moon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I right then. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. The Vulcans couldn't see us. We needed a line to explain that. Now we're off. Oh yeah, and we've uh, we've just recreated the time travel conditions of the Borg sphere because that's easy, apparently. Well, yeah, <laughs> indeed. The way I see it, they had the they had the records of uh, uh, of the signature. Yeah. Well, you don't want them to spend twenty minutes trying to get back to the future. Do you? I mean, indeed, you just gloss over the fact that they've uh, that they've probably spent time figuring it out, knowing figuring how to do it while they've been watching. Um, yeah. First contacts happen. 
So yeah, they just need they... to get back. Yeah, it's not like as I've said, time travel is not important in this. No, film. indeed, it's, it's just a it's a catalyst for the story. It's actually exactly. the story. Whereas it's... if you look at the voyage home. It's all about time travel. It's about you know the, this is this is how difficult it is to get here, and this is how difficult it is to get back. Yeah. You know, part of the mission is getting the ship ready to return. You could say that the plot uh, that the um, time travel in this uh, film is just basically the plot device. It is. It basically is. Yeah. And there's nothing more to it. Really. Yeah, you don't have to worry about it. I mean, the fact to, the fact that the Enterprise crew have significantly contaminated the future. Is neither here nor there, apparently. Indeed. Cochrane and Lily both know everything. They both know about the Federation, they know everything. You know, there's. Um, in fact, they could just design the next 200 years if they wanted to. Indeed, yeah. they know what's going to happen. Yeah. Or what should happen. Or they rough. They know how things end up, certainly. They don't know how they end up there, but the, the same people have to make the same decisions in order to get to that point. Indeed. Yeah. So yeah, it's and, not just down to them, but it's and interesting. They may, they may have taken the, the 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 bigger view of it and just decided not to say anything. Yeah, apart from when Cochrane's drunk and talks about some cybernetic life forms from the future. Well, indeed, <laughs> exactly, and, and no one believes him at that. Point. Yeah, because he was frequently intoxicated, as Paul An- says. Another another little trivia info of of that episode mm-hmm. when they're scanning the wreckage on in, on the for- frozen tundra. Where yeah. is it? Is it the Antarctic? The North Pole? I think it's the What's Arctic, yeah. One of them. It's one of them. A cold place. Yeah. They've got the, you've got all this snow-covered stuff. The forward section of the Enterprise um, E's saucer section is standing yeah, the, upright against behind them. Yeah, the model, yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what, I think the one that they used in Nemesis, um, one, of the, one of the models that they used for, in Nemesis to... They actually, to run, yeah. Yeah, in, in Nemesis, they actually made two big models and ran them together. Yeah. That's not CGI that you see. It's just two <laughs> no. models sta- that are upside down. Mm-hmm. So and they, they just hit them. Yeah. Indeed, so you've got this forward <laughs> section. They didn't actually cut the Enterprise E model up yeah. uh, for, for that episode. It's just one of the unused uh, rammable sections. Hmm. That the, and they just spray-painted it white. <laughs> Good times, indeed. I didn't spot it at first until someone pointed it out to me. I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. There's all sorts of interesting little tidbits of, of facts here and there. If um, you look, if you look back, if you look into it hard enough, there are l- links and in jokes to all Star Trek in all of Star Trek. Yeah, of course. Yeah, people like to reference stuff. Indeed, yeah, and that's what I like to look for sometimes. And when yeah. I'm build when I'm building my um, MSDs, I always put in end jokes and little references hmm. here and there. When why not? Indeed, it's tradition. Yeah. So the yeah, I think probably we've exhausted most of the film. But I think the last thing is it'd be good to talk about Next Generation's viability as a movie franchise because obviously mm. they've the they're the least rated films of the of the overall Star Trek film franchise of course indeed yeah in, in general anyway um and it's interesting to f- at least theorize as to why that is for me it feels like the problem with next generation is it was an ensemble show original series wasn't original series had three main characters so the films had three main characters mm-hmm. and then all the supporting people you know you had films where Sulu had like five lines because whatever you know he's not Indeed. important um, whereas Next Generation everyone got a chance to uh, to have a go 
Indeed. Which is what means as a film franchise, there was no core. So they, they picked the core of Picard and Data in all four films. I think this this very film we're talking about, First Contact, shows that it does it can work if you've got a if you've got a good enough scriptwriter and a good director. It works, Every, but they focus everybody. on Picard and Data again. Indeed, well, yeah. in all through the series, the episodes focused on different people at different times. Yeah. Now, I think they suffered by having Generations was okay, First Contact was okay, but. Insurrection and Nemesis aren't—they're not a shadow on the on the former on the former two, um, and that's what I think that's what killed off. I would say Nemesis is better than um, than Generations personally. Yeah, it, actually, I, th- I would say they're more on par. Mm. I mean, Nemesis isn't the best of the films, uh, but it, it has its good bits and it has its bad bits. Um, it, we finally see the bridge take a hit and a yeah. big massive hole t- torn into it. Yeah. We, it's something that we've been not wishing to happen, but it should have been seen uh, more often. I mean, yes, we do see a bit of it in in the Enterpri- in Enterprise. Yeah, that would be before Nemesis came out as well. Yes, but yeah. we it, we don't see too much of it. In, no. in in this one, we see the inside and the effects that that has. Yeah, um, and it's just. The, the entire Tycan's Rift um, battle scene hmm. was was brilliant. It is Tycan's yeah. Rift, isn't it? I think it's the Basin, Basin Rift. Rift ba- Basin, yeah. The Basin Rift, that's it. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that scene, you know, when, <coughs> when, when, the, when, when the screen goes blank, it says, well, uh, and Data says uh, the, the Rift is causing communications... Uh, uh, such and such and such and such will be off yeah. for and then he just stops and he just instantly understands yeah. what's going to happen we've lost our Wi-Fi connection yeah <laughs> exactly we've lost Wi-Fi everybody start running around like headless chickens yeah no, it's well, there's no ba- Wi-Fi on the ship it's almost as bad as the coffee machine going o- o- offline <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah exactly we have no warp drive we have no impulse we've got ten, 20 minutes of air left but um, coffee and the ships and the ships about to explode. Are you telling us everything? N- not exactly. There's no coffee. That's, <laughs> at that point, that's when everybody loses their mind. Yeah, and it's it's definitely the um, it's it's definitely has legs as a film franchise. But I don't think you would ever have a film that Doctor Crusher is the lead. You know. But the thing is, no. Um, Nemesis, not Nemesis. Um, First Contact is unique in that it gives her something to do. Yes, it's not much. But she has something to do. She, she does know. have something to do, yes. She has that badass moment where she clearly hates the holographic doctor's thing. She hates the idea of an EMH. Which, you know, that tells you something about her as a person. Indeed. A little bit. You know, um, plus it gets you a really cool Robert Picardo cameo. You know how he got that? Uh, no, I probably do, but I've probably forgotten. He just kept on going on and on and on about how, how it would be cool to have... Um, the the doctor in it because this is this this film was post Voyager yeah. so it makes sense that the Enterprise the newest ship ship in the fleet would have, would have an one, e- and yeah. it would have an EMH and everything like that yeah. and he kept on going and going on on and on and on and on and on and on and eventually well, it's the same sick bay, isn't it yeah indeed yeah. and eventually Rick Berman went you know what would you like a, a small part yeah fair enough because <laughs> Robert Picardo and he said this in a he said this in a talk uh, he says the the main point is to make them think it's their idea 
<laughs> so, he, so he kept on planting the seed in Berman's mind. Yeah. Rick Berman. And eventually Rick Berman turned around to him and says, we think we've got an idea for you. Hmm. Oh, really? <laughs> Please tell me. I'll see if I'm available. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, and Computer, activate the EMH program. Restate the nature of the medical emergency. 20 Borg are about to break through that door. We need time to get out of here. Create a diversion. This isn't part of my program. I'm a doctor, not a doorstop. Well, do a dance. Tell a story. I don't care. Just give us a few seconds. According to Starfleet Medical Research, Borg implants can cause severe skin irritation. Perhaps you'd like an analgesic cream? And yeah, you have uh, Ethan Phillips as the maitre d'. Oh yeah, the, I don't know how he got that role. Maybe that was purely because they were filming Voyager and um, they just wanted... <laughs> he, yeah. they, they, he just said they probably just needed someone for a maitre d' and they went, eh, fancy the part? Yeah, you would never know it was him anyway. I don't no. think he's even credited. No, he isn't, it's, it is uncredited. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's an uncredited cameo. Uh, is Robert Picardo's credited? I can't remember. I think he is. I think he must be credited. Yeah, he's got quite a meaty scene though. Yeah, and it's a good scene as well. Hmm. But it does. Yeah, that that scene tells you about Crusher. You know, she's old school doctor wise. Yeah, I, I swore I'd never use yeah. one of these. But <laughs> and she doesn't actually use them for the intended purpose. No, I'm a, I'm a doctor, not a doorstop. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. It's a good cameo. Um, so, yeah, she gets something to do. It's not much, but it's a little bit. She gets Indeed. bugger all to do in Nemesis. Yeah, there's not much. You do. She holds a tricorder at people's face. And yeah. I suppose I, she does talk to Picard about how he used to be Tom Hardy at one point. <laughs> yeah. It's like, remember him? It's like, no. Re- retconning. <laughs> retconning, yes. I seem to remember that's... you having hair when you were a cadet, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all, that's all she does. Yeah. Um, so... I think ensembles are harder to do in films like this, and, and the problem is, like, mm. in uh, Nemesis, for instance, you could, you know, you could cut Jordy out, and it would make no difference. Yeah, you could, cut, you could cut Crusher, yeah. um, Jordy, even Worf. Yeah, you could. You could get rid of um, you could, and they only gave Riker an action scene for no reason, but for 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 the first and giggles. Yeah. Oh, no. sorry, that's another more photon torpedoes. Uh, no, he's uh, a. <laughs> right, so he can fight over a giant bottomless pit at the bottom of the ship. It, yeah, exactly. They're on deck twenty. My, fr- <laughs> my friend has made up a deck listing, and he says deck twenty nine, and says the bottomless pit to nowhere. Yeah. Is is part of the is part of the deck listing? Well, the the decks aren't even consistent in this film. <sighs> no, it's say uh, twenty six at one point, and the card says there's only twenty four. It's um, beca- yeah, indeed, yeah. It, it goes all over the place, and even the MSD that you see in the Enterprise uh, on the bridge isn't um, consistent with the exterior of the ship. Yeah, uh, basically because uh, Doug Drexler who drew, uh, drew it. Uh, drew it off what was at that point the current design and final mm. but like any designer will tell you final does not mean final mm. it will change and, uh, yeah. and at the last minute they changed it again but they had yeah. no time to do, he had no time to do another um, MSD so it, it just stayed the shape it is which is almost nearly the, the, the correct shape mm. fair enough um, and the, the script writers obviously they Everybody, everybody was writing their own scene, and not one of them talked to each other. Yeah. When it came to the technicalities, like the <laughs> number of the number of decks. Yeah. And then, well, Nemesis had a also had a, a director who just did not get Star Trek at all. Of course, yeah. I do think that um, 
I do think that under certain circumstances, Next Generation could be viable as a film franchise. First this contact, film proves it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was about to say. First yeah. Contact proves that with the with the right story, with the right scripting, and the right director, yeah. the Next Generation was and in my mind still is a viable uh, film yeah. franchise. Well, I think we're still missing out on that final. You know, last hurrah for the cast that we never really got. I mean, Indeed. if you watch, if you watch the deleted scenes on Nemesis, you get some of that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, and I like, they're great scenes. You know, I, like, I, I think they really should have kept put those scenes in. Yeah, you know, the the director obviously doesn't know what didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, the, the, where the, Worf inherits the cat. That's a great scene. Yep, yeah, and um, you've got, you've got, um, and then you've got Riker playing a playing a joke on his replacement. Yeah. Um, Telling him to, to call Captain Picard Jean Luc, yeah, uh, and the only person on the ship, of course, who gets away with that is Crusher, yeah, or Guinan, or Guinan, yes, Guinan. <laughs> well, she called uh, him Picard more often than not. She, she did, um, but she called most people by their surname yeah. as well. And I do think that the Next Generation send-off should have had Q in it at some point because he started it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know what would have been really nice. It's him bring, taking them straight back, to, right back to that um, court courtroom. Yeah, be kind of annoying, maybe, but uh, no, it would maybe work. But him in his judge's robes again, you know, yeah. saying we have passed, we have now passed judgment, and we find you worthy or whatever or not. Yeah, um, and that would have been, it. It just would have been a nice sort of like um, circle right back to where it began. Yep. Uh, yeah, that would have worked, or could have worked. Yeah, could have, could have worked. Even, even the deleted scenes, as we've seen, would have been better than what we got. Yes, I mean, yes, I like. I kind of like the idea that before started humming away at that diddly that uh, data mm. was working, or that data sung. It kind of gives the idea that uh, maybe he could develop into da- into an, uh, a data two in the f- in the future. But uh, it, we needed more than that. Well, it's exactly Wrath of Khan, anyway. I mean, it's, they, yeah. they've been copying that since since Nemesis, really. Yeah, since Nam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think on that note, we should wrap this up. Uh, we've talked for a long time about um, First Contact and the rest of the franchise. Indeed, we've, we've covered quite a lot, actually. Yeah. I, hope, I hope we haven't put everybody to sleep. Well, I'll say I'll sound red alert again, and then I'll just pepper it throughout the edit. <laughs> you <laughs> <needle> man, <laughs> no, I like your it's style. Much, it's too much work. Uh, <laughs> if there's one thing quiet. I hate more than hate more than uh, anything else, it's hard work. <laughs> <laughs> or, or to or to paraphrase Crichton from Red Dwarf, are you sure you want to go to red alert? It does require changing the bulb. <laughs> it needs the bulb changed. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you have anything? Uh, final to say about First Contact other than, you know, this most joyous of days in the Star Trek calendar It's a film that anytime I, if I'm channel surfing with nothing better to see and it's on, no matter how many times I've watched it, that's where we'd stop channel surfing and I'd just watch it Yeah, I'd be the same It's one of these films that you can watch umpteen times, I try not to watch it too often but um, it's one of these films that I would always watch if it's the, if it's on and I've, and there's nothing else for me to do, yeah, it's uh, all the other films apart from um, number two and number four, kind of hit and miss. I'll f- I'll fig- find something else to do. Hmm. But yeah, this nice. this one and number two and number four, I'll always stop and watch. There we go. 
my final thoughts are I like this film. I like talking about it. I enjoyed rewatching it the weekend. I'll rewatch it next week when it's not work. <laughs> when I don't have to take notes throughout. Uh, that'll always be good. Uh, so I'll rewatch it on the day itself. And um, yeah. So right. I hope I hope everyone's having a, a, a prosperous first contact day. There we go. Live long and prosper, everybody. Live long and prosper. Or peace and long life. And peace and long life. And uh, live fast and die young. Yep. Never give up, never surrender. Oh, wait, sorry, <laughs> oh, wrong franchise. Oh. Best best non best non Star Trek Star Trek film ever. Yes. Um <laughs> And there'll be a podcast on that one day, perhaps. Oh, do invite me. <laughs> well, there we go. There's some uh, spoilers for the future. I actually got to see that I uh, you know where you know where I first saw that? A Star Trek convention. Oh, I first saw it on VHS. <laughs> yeah, VHS. VHS, VHS, VHS. Anyway, happy First Contact Day, everybody. Have a Trek-tastic day. Thus concludes our long discussion on Star Trek First Contact. A special thank you to YouTuber331Erock for the supplied music. And if you like what you heard here, please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. We hope you'll join us in the next Neil Before Pod.